Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we're calling this episode Well-Rounded because it has a lot of round stuff. I mean, basically, that's, that's what it is. Like, on the news side, we've got Pokemon Sword and Shield and the new Detective Pikachu trailer, and that's symbolized by Pokeballs, naturally. Then we've got rumors of Xbox coming to Switch, and we all know that the Xbox logo is, you know, round. Then we've got impressions of a Nindy that kind of flew under a lot of people's radar, Pool Panic, and a brand new multiplayer Switch game called Battle Loon, both of which star round characters. And, 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 the surprise retirement of Reggie, which isn't round, but he... Got around? Got around the industry, had a well-rounded career, used to make Bigfoot pizzas, those were round. So, you know, it, it were... Listen, I'm trying here. Just just give me credit for trying. I'm trying. Dude, but creativity ran dry. It apparently did. It was... it. it there's no round reference, like round pun I can make. Point is, listen, I spent it all the other day when I tweeted that... Uh, that uh, Score Bunny's French name is Flambino, and he's the first form, meaning he's childish Flambino. That's where all my creativity went into that golden nugget of a tweet. So that's why this is called well-rounded, is what I'm saying. And even that one is pretty... No, it is It is the pinnacle of the on-brand Jason experience, is what that one is. Oh, oh yeah, it was. <laughs> I thought you meant, like, good. Oh, no, it's, it's my... I mean, cause that's where my creative... Because you do have gold sometimes. I mean, we, we can't deny that. Are you saying childish Flambino is not gold? No, definitely not. Is it at least bronze? No, is it like, it's like, like, like imitation iron? copper. Oof, that hurts. Well, let's just move past my punnery. Uh, if there's anything in particular anyone wants to hear on this episode from that list of round things and not round things I just mentioned, we do have timestamps for roundtown.com. If you're on the YouTube video, they are under it. Um, but we start off with a belated happy Pokemon Day to all listeners. It was a few days ago. It was celebrated by... Someone, I'm sure. What did you, you do for Pokemon Day, Angel? Did you do anything at all? Um, no, I didn't even really real. I, I didn't even really realize it was Pokemon Day, except when people were tweeting like "Happy Pokemon Day." I don't know. That's I, what fa- all fake holidays are. <laughs> They're yeah. not real until someone says it to no, you. No, but like, I mean, oh, at man. least have some consistency. Like it's always the 27th. It's it, the day red and blue came out in Japan. Is red and green? Is it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just feels always. Like, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel consistent. I don't know why. It is. And Mario Day is coming up on March 10th, and that's also very consistent. Like, it just felt like a random day that just happened to be when the Direct was. It's more like the Direct was when the day was, but I see your point. It's it's funny. I did less for... I mean, I'm aware about, like, May the 4th, even though I could care less about Star Wars. Right. Well, that's what I think... because... That's what Pokemon's trying to do. Well, they're not trying hard enough, I guess. Apparently not. I mean, even... Yeah, even... It didn't didn't even get my attention. Like, I did less for Pokemon Day than I do on a typical non-Pokemon Day with things involving Pokemon. Like, normally I open Pokemon Day. I thought they were just calling it Pokemon Day because, like, oh, it's Pokemon Announcement Day. Ah, nah. And that was pretty much it. But yeah, like, I didn't even... On Pokemon Day, I didn't even open Pokemon Go, which, like, surprises me as much as you probably since, A... They had a bunch of shinies and of Pikachu, and then they had, like, Pikachu and Eevee and, like, flower crowns, and more importantly, B... Wait, was that only for that day? It was only for that day. And oh. B, they introduced the new snapshot mode the other I day. I guess I played Pokemon Go that day, but not even because of that. Did you get a flower crown? I did. And yeah, I'm I got supposedly bo- the fan. No, I got both of those. Did you do the snapshot mode? Do you know? Um, I didn't bother. I, so, conceptually, I don't care about the photos, but I just love that the only way to get Smeargle in the game... Oh, wait, no. ...is to have him photobomb I you. take it back. I did try it, but Pets I did no, um, I didn't even realize it was like photo mode because I just kind of skipped all the bumpers or all the mm-hmm. announcements, all the and, onboarding. Yeah, yeah, and then I just um clicked on the camera and then I was like, all right, I just want to 
see pincer so then i put pincer in the room and i just kind of like walked around him i'm like wow this is he's a pretty big pokemon just like bigger than i expected and that's pretty much it i will say uh tall executor pretty accurate ar alone very very impressive alone executor is shorter than i expected and i expected you know he is tall i just thought he'd be even taller but yeah i think this miracle thing's actually kind of clever like he has to photobomb you and then he appears which is just kind of funny but anyway the one thing i think that ui and the whole gaming world did because you already said it is uh we witnessed the unveiling of generation eight of pokemon which is now officially titled pokemon sword and shield it is part of this what seven minute pokemon direct um gave us just a taste of what's to come it's very similar to how they did the sun and moon unveiling back in the much day gave us like less it was like almost nothing did sun and moon even show us the alone forms initially i don't think so right it showed us like the cg like wireframes of I think it was like Picky Peck or yeah, a Picky Peck. Oh right. And like it showed like a Jeep, but it pretty much told us like it pretty much looked like oh it's just another Pokemon game. Yeah. It wasn't until later that we learned like oh they're actually taking out the gyms, they're actually changing some stuff. Yeah. But so so what do yeah. you think? It sounds like this one had as you point out had even less. So what what do you think? No, of, like coming out. Sun and Moon had even less. Oh, you think this one? More? Oh, I see what you're saying. This yeah. one actually showed gameplay, yeah. but it didn't show any new Pokemon. Besides the starters, while the other one, I guess, showed wireframes of starters? No, not even the starters. Wait, it, that's right. It just showed... It's that, been two very long It showed years. that one bird, and I don't even think it showed <laughs> oh, the starters. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's right. The first one had, like, way less than this one. So then you must be pretty content with this one. Like, coming out of the direct, how'd you feel about it? How'd you feel about Sword and Shield and all that? Um. All right, let's wait till we get the actual news drop. That's fair. Pretty much it. I mean, I, I, I've i come to not expect anything from the initial unveilings outside of this is what the game is called and it exists, which was kind of what we got last time, which it was just this game exists. Yeah. But... I mean, there's some stuff you can I mean, see in there. I mean, like, I don't, it looks more linear. I mean, this is just based on the map they showed us, yeah. but, like, if you look at it, like, other Pokemon maps are pretty pretty sprawling in all directions like you could pretty much take it looks like you could take like different paths go like to the left back down right. it doesn't look like there's like one direct route and in this one it looks like the starting town is all the way in the bottom and it doesn't look like there isn't much left and right it looks oh, very oh narrow. you mean you mean the map as a whole not yeah. just a one screen you mean the the, no, the, the lay of the land oh yeah the, the, the lay of the land literally, of Galar. Yeah, it literally yeah. looks like like it's a cake of tears like it doesn't look yeah. like there's a lot of left and right it doesn't look like there's going to be a lot of backtracking this is based just on what the map looks like. Well, of like. course, everything we're talking about is going to be based yeah. on very little at the moment. But, I mean, that I didn't really say that as a negative or concern. It was just more like, huh, that's that looks weird. Like, I thought I expected yeah. just more cities, like, sprawled out across everything, but it's just kind of like, I don't know, a straight road, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think, I think for me, actually, what's exciting about it is the setting. Not so much the shape of the setting, but, like, it looks to be interesting in how it kind of melds together different aspects of what it's basically like the locales and even different time periods of great britain britain all kind of like merged into one amalgamation it's kind of cool like on the other you know like they had uh like the rolling countrysides and they had the heavily wooded areas and they had like the first town literally looks like a sh- the shire but then you know at the same time you have them dabbling in some kind of industrialization thing with factories which is kind of interesting you don't see much of that in pokemon I feel like and then they had like the mine you're walking through and they had like steam powered stuff and then on top of that they have what's kind of like London it even has like a fake Big Ben tower so it, it really like it's very modern there so it's kind of cool even if the path is linear I like the diversity in 
Like, they're going beyond just like, oh, yeah, this is like Paris, so we're going to make it like Paris. So this is Hawaii, so it looks like Hawaii. They're like, well, this is London, so modern Britain, and this is like old school Britain. This is like medieval Britain. And it it just seems so like... it's based on Britain. <clears throat> yeah, but different, like, parts of, like, time periods and stuff, which is new. And I, I think that, to me, potentially opens up some interesting new Pokemon ideas or references to British culture. I mean, like, the Sword and Shield name certainly suggests at least a nod to medieval times like the, the time period not the restaurant but um i think it, it'd be kind of cool if they sort of had that factor into the story in some way like maybe there's a royal maybe there's royalty there or a royal guard or like something like that where actually you know some sort of king system instead of just like the usual oh here's the mob that is team rocket or team galactic or what have you um and then sort of hand out the idea i'm really just riffing here now i know but i i I kind of curious what it means about the direction of the Pokemon designs, because like Sun and Moon lean super heavily on the tropical angle, right? And obviously that's a little more unique because it's an island. But I'm kind of so curious. Many lowland forms, right? And I'm kind of curious. Also, well, one, are they gonna do Galarin, Galarin forms, and was well, that just gonna be a bunch of sad, droopy, wet, brown things? <laughs> like, because their weather's not enough for, or like, like they they could have fun with it. I mean. I could see more steel or dark types because those kind of fit with medieval, like, knights in armor or, like, they can lean on fancy creatures from, like, the British culture, like, you know, griffins and dragons and ogres or something. And Such a... I don't know. Literally a wasted opportunity that they couldn't save Aegislash for this game because he's literally a shield and a sword. Yeah. Yeah. I Like, I want more of that kind of... Or, like, you know how they have the... Uh... Do you? Because it seems like everyone hated Aegislash. Like, no, no, no. Oh, I want... No, I mean... The sword. Well, I don't, I don't mean to be a sword and shield. I mean, I want them to do stuff that is relevant to the theme of the location, which they didn't really do till Sun and Moon. Like, it's not like you have, like, Parisian, but it's not like you have a walking baguette for black, black and white. seemed fine for it. Well, I mean, they were just Pokemon, because France is just a place. But, like, there's so much, like... I'm talking about black and white, the one that was supposed to be, like, New York... That one had a pigeon. Wait, which one was Paris? I thought... That's X and Y. Oh, that's right. I was thinking of X and Y. Yeah, no, New York, they did pretty well. So I want them to do that again now. And I want them to do it with ogres and griffins and, and like, an old school pixie fairy or something. Or, I don't know. Or, like, you know what they could do? This is a stupid idea, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's, just, it's an idea I stole from Reddit, I'll be honest. You know the, the, the tropical birds from Sun and Moon? The, um... Oricorio? Yeah. What if they had musical beetles, like bugs, to represent the beetles? Like, there's all these silly ideas they can run with, and I feel like if they don't, they're kind of squandering it. Which brings me, I guess, to I feel like the amount of the Pokemon revealed was kind of concerning to me. Like, it was like, oh god, they're revealing so many not new Pokemon. It's like, does that mean it's going to be another generation where it's like only 80 new Pokemon and I, the rest are just fillers? I'm going to... Uh, yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I think they're past so, the days of having 100, 150 new Sun ones. It's Moon a lot was, of... Sun and Moon was pretty much like that. There weren't yeah. very many new Pokemon. There were very few new ones. And they made it up with Alolan form, so now which, they need Galarian. quote-unquote, made it up with. I mean, from a competitive side, it's great because it's like, oh, cool, they made so-and-so more viable. Right. But now... But it's also like, oh, that's less new designs that we get to see. Because, I mean, Alolan Vulpix isn't very exciting. Alolan no. Sandshrew isn't very exciting. You know Alolan. who is exciting? Executor. Alolan Executor. Yeah, Executor was exciting. <laughs> and Doug Trio, that luscious hair. That one was somewhere, no. that's somewhere in between. I know it looks like he's wearing a wig, but it's great. No, I know, but it's... Uh, that, that, one's just some, that one falls somewhere in between for me. It's like... That's fair. All right. Yeah, Alolan Muck. He just, he just did shrooms before he mucked it up, Yeah. I, I do mm. think what's interesting, you made a good point that there's a lot of familiar Pokemon. I did notice, and this was true in the Detective Pikachu trailer too, so we'll talk about that in a different way later, but 
I did notice that there's a lot more diversity. They have finally, Game Freak has finally moved past just Gen 1. And as a fan of Gen 1, I'm even tired of Gen 1. Like, when they start going back to Gen 1 and, you know, kind of going back to the well of Pokemon Go and everything, I was like, oh, this is great. These are Pokemon I'm familiar with and I love and whatever. But they've been milking them for, like, a few generations, or a few, you know, years now. So it's kind of nice that there were Gen 4s in there and Gen 3s in there and Gen 2s and, like, you know, Pokemon you wouldn't expect to suddenly be relevant again are now relevant. Like, Whalemur's randomly there. It's funny how, like, Gen 1 through 4, for the most part, even now... To me, like, 1 through 4 feel now like the old school Pokemon. Yeah. 5 is kind of, like, still, like, the... It's not quite there yet as, like, feeling, like, nostalgic for it. But definitely Diamond and Pearl and before that definitely feel super... Yeah, and I think think they're purposely pacing it like this. Like, if you open Pokemon Go, you have up through Gen 4 now. So, like, okay, anyone that's playing Pokemon Go will recognize these. That's good enough for... Like, that's enough of a threshold now. Instead of it just being the ones from back in the day, it can be any of the ones in the free mobile game we can count on people knowing and... Like I said, it's also in Detective Pikachu. It's not just in Sword and Shield. That's an interesting little turn of events they did. And basically what I'm saying is it's nice to see that Game Freak remember there are 500 plus other Pokemon besides just like a million Rattatas and Pidgeys or what have you. And in the level, I did, I did want to touch on this, but I meant to say it before. The, the, the world, like the actual level design, the world design, the graphics, pretty good. If you like look at Let's Go, which came out like three months ago, it's noticeably better in terms of detail and complexity and the geometry. I mean, ultimately, it is just an up-res, I think, of the Sun and Moon engine. They just HDified it. But it looks nice. It fits. Like, some I of the saw, landscapes and vistas look really good. I saw a picture. Yeah, the vistas and everything for sure. Yeah. I I did um, agree with some people on Twitter. Like, they posted a picture of pretty much, like, Pikachu and Let's Go and yeah. in this one. And it's the exact same model, like, but they shaded it differently. Yeah, and the shading definitely made a huge difference. Like mm-hmm. it definitely looks more like an anime Pikachu instead of a, instead of just looking like a CG model of yeah. Pikachu. Yeah, it it really feels like like this to me feels like when they took uh, Super Mario 3D Land on the 3DS and then basically HDified it into Super Mario, uh, Super Mario 3D World. It's kind of that sort of like oh yeah that's the look we know it's just cleaner and there's more stuff to it now but it's basically the exact same thing. So I I know some people are saying it's not fancy enough but i think it looks it looks fine the thing i i have a bit of a bone to pick with which kind of goes back to the whole like they should have done pokemon there more british is what is going on with the starters like like you sound concerned or something i mean they seem... i was hoping they do something british and these starters are decidedly not british and like i don't mean like oh they need a bad teeth to count or something like it, it's as much as i hate to say it this these are the most like generic kind of i'm not into them i don't know i i mean like you've got score bunny who looks kind of like this old like cartoon mascot or something like it, it he does that stance in the trailer where he puts his hand on his hip sort of deal and puffs out his chest he looks like a mix of like the tricks rabbit and like sonic with a hint of like the mario amiibo pose i which, which is weird because like pokemon don't have poses in that sense they never pose for the camera like that like it felt Weird, and then people started comparing his design. You've never seen Incineroar, but I don't. I mean, they don't pose never in like Machoke. No, but I'm saying they don't pose in like a mascot. Like I'm the cartoon guy that goes on the box of the cereal, like he did. It's never like cartoon poses. They're posing like Incineroar's a wrestler, Machoke's a, a weightlifter. Like they make those sorts of poses. That makes is his is his role. I am mascot. It just seems like Pikachu never does that. It's just I don't know. It's weird. And then people online were comparing the art of. uh 
Scorbunny, who, by the way, what that name's not even good. I get you're trying to scorch Bunny, but do like Scorchiny or something. Anyway, uh, they're comparing like the art assets of him versus other starters, and literally, he has the exact pose of official Chimchar art with the exact mouth of Chespin art. Like it's not even like you can kind of overlay them and they line up perfectly. It just feels so I don't know. It feels so lazy. His one redeeming quality is the fact that, as I was saying before, his French name's Flambino, which is amazing. But yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. Am I? Do you think about you're you're the animation guy? Am I overthinking this? Uh, I think so. What do you so. think of the starters designs? They look fine. They don't look any better or worse than any other generation, in my opinion. I guess. I mean, like literally, like from all the way back to now, like they don't seem any better or worse. I'm not, I'm ignoring. The whole British aspect. I'm looking at them. Yeah, as yeah, starters. yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm I, for the sake of this argument, the Brit, my British ideas out the window. I mean, they're that's the same thing. We haven't had a grass monkey. That's we what well, we sort of had. We had not as a starter, but we had uh, uh what's his name, uh, Pansage. Oh yeah, yeah. We haven't had a grass monkey starter. So yeah, so um. yeah. And I will be I, to be fair. I think the real winner of the bunch. If I had to pick one, and I'm being hard by forcing him to be part of my rant about Scorbunny, but like uh, Sobble, Sobble, uh, like. It's the saddest little Pokemon. He has Sob in his name. In in one of the other c- countries, his name is like Tear or something. Like he's a sad little dude. He, he's apparently a total introvert. He turns invisible because he doesn't like people. He doesn't like attention. And even the official art, he looks so dismayed and confused. It's like basically Game Freak saw how fans watch like protect the quote unquote innocence of uh, who was in Sunmoo Pop Poplio the the penguin guy. Pop Poplio not that Poplio. Was a, that was a feel. Oh yeah, the seal. I mix him up with Piplup in my head. I meant, yeah. but I had the right idea, Poplio. Um, like, remember that whole thing where I was like, "Oh, we have to protect. He's so cute. We have to protect him." I feel like Game Freak's like, "Oh, so the water types are like super sensitive." Okay, let's make this really sad clown of a. Let's make Sobble, and it, it kind of worked. I mean, I'll even overlook the fact that his head is literally Mudkip's little head fin. That's fine. They can copy that all they want because, like, he's clearly not in a good mental headspace. So give him his headpiece. It's fine. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's the. I suspect I'm in the minority about all this because you don't care. And, like, within 20 to 30 minutes of all of it coming out, there's so much fan art already. They moved so fast. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They, they, look, they look fine to me. They all feel like they could all be really great. Oh, yeah, I think the potential's it, there. I, what are the odds that. Grokey... I mean, the, the only thing I'm asking is yeah. the fact that Scorbunny, like, I'm. Probably my favorite would probably be between Scorbunny and Grookey. Grookey's pretty I, has potential. I, I like Grookey just because I don't know he's kind of adorable, but yes. I don't know. But I like Scorbunny's energy and confident look. I don't know something about it just like resonates with me. But oh, so you must have hated that I was tearing apart his design. His um, design. No, because that's your Teach opinion. It means nothing yeah. to me. So yeah. Oof. Um, <laughs> but anyway, like he has a band aid on his on his on his face, mm-hmm. like right above his nose. And my hope is like, okay, don't let that be that he likes to get into scuffles, which means that he's going to eventually turn into a firefighting. Because we've already had Incineroar firefighting. We've had Blaziken firefighting. We've had um, Grumpig firefighting. Thank Arceus that Incineroar was not firefighting. <laughs> he was Arceus. he was a he's a wrestler, but at least they made him rest like fire dark. Yeah. He could, he, he, it's almost like they were about to become firefighting, but they're like, no, that's already four. So I think that's maybe where they British British Britishify all this is the types can be relevant to the locale, so he can be fire and also and also think of it this steel way: steel like, or something weird. I mean, like he some, can develop armor as he evolves, and that bandage is from when he was training before he had his armor. Yeah, know, I, I mean, mean like, there's ways they can. Like do honestly, it. these starters don't 
really tell us anything. Like you could, no. you would have never guessed that um, Lyndon would turn into a wrestler. Like there's nothing about Lyndon that yeah. implies he would turn into a wrestler of all things, or that Rowlett would turn into an archer. So Popley almost definitely turned into whatever it turned into. That like feminine, like that one was kind of. It like, was a mermaid, but yeah, that one made sense compared to the others. Yeah. But, well, from a clown to a mermaid. I mean, she kind of loses the. But she still had the performance. But no, but she had the performance art. Oh, thing. Yeah. She had like the elaborate gown and everything. The same. Yeah, Rowlett and Lyndon were definitely kind of left. Because, I mean, he's like a little butler owl that becomes Robin Hood. I mean, I guess it's like from riches to rags. I don't know. It's like a reverse yeah. Robin Hood. Yeah. But um, yeah, they. I guess we'll see. Maybe later on, once they evolve, they'll get your British motif, and you'll be like, oh, it all I, yeah. makes sense. Cause... I'm already warming up to Scorbunny again because Flambino. I'm not even kidding. That's all it took was just having that name. Like, I just, I think it's the name plus the design. I'm just like, there's something missing. I, I guess mean, I'm leaning towards Grookey more now. Well, I know. I'm probably going to do Sobble, to be honest. Like, he needs the moral support, so I'm there for it. No, him. it's just the, the Gambino Association. Oh. Uh, well, hey, listen. I understand you don't like greatness, but like, one thing I can do about it. Um, but I will, I will say, uh, by the way, I bet your group could evolve into some sort of like old man ape that has a staff. He already has the little thing in the back of his hair that can easily become a staff later on, or back of his head that could become a staff later on. Old man monkey. You know, like, like kind of like, um, oh, what's his name? Lion King. Rafiki? Like almost like that with a staff. Either that or a gorilla. Those are the two options. It won't be anything else. Hmm. That's my guess. But I, I do think the my concern – I feel like you were about to say something. No. No? I do think my concern with the three starters and like their similarities to existing Pokemon, at least in my mind, kind of embodies the – maybe the overarching thing about Sword and Shield that jumped out at me even in just the brief footage we saw, which is that like in my opinion, it just screams playing it safe. And I use that in air quotes with me, like playing it safe. But every, like everything's prettier, but they aren't really – Evolving the the Pokemon formula, no no pun intended. But like, I feel like they could have. But I feel like this is the trailer when we wouldn't get any of that. That's true. But I mean, even little things. I don't necessarily mean I don't need them to go like full Breath of the Wild open world on us. But like, and, and to be fair, like let's go when it existed was probably the closest we're gonna get to a Breath of the Wild moment for Pokemon. I mean, it still exists, but you know, what I mean, when it was the hot new one. But like, just. I don't know. This is the mainline core games console debut. Like, why not leverage the opportunity to do stuff a little differently? Just in terms of presentation, like, make the paths and routes physically less linear. Don't make them so boxed in. Like, give more of an actual open world feel. You could still have your your system where you're going like piecemeal down routes, but like, make it feel a little more open. Make it give camera movement freedom. You don't need the lock perspectives anymore. You have an HD console. You can you can scoot the camera behind the back, keep the gameplay, but just kind of tilt it down and make it feel a little more like different i i don't know i think like the biggest whiff for me about this whole thing is they could have made it more of a living breathing world and this is something you can tell in the trailer because they're like this is what the game looks like it's not like this is an in development unfinished version they're saying here's the first footage of how this game will be and if anything to me it feels like it's actually regressing from pokemon let's go in a number of ways like i don't know i don't know if i'm necessarily not a fan or a fan of true random encounters coming back but I thought that having Pokemon out in well, the world... technically they never left because Let's Go isn't really a mainline game. Well, okay. That's fair. But I'm not sure if I'm a fan of true random encounters existing now when Let's Go... Like, having the Pokemon out in the world was a huge, I feel like, quality of life improvement for Let's Go because it let you somewhat selectively go after the Pokemon you want to go after. And it could still work fine without, you know, 
carrying over the battling system. Like you can do, or the catching system. You can do the normal battle system that you would have in any mainline Pokemon game, but just have the Pokemon out and about. Like it's not much different to be like, I'm walking up to him because I need a grind versus I'm going to walk in this grass endlessly and hope one pops up so I can grind. Like it's ultimately the exact same gameplay goal. But like at least if they had him out walking around, it just feels more alive. It feels more like a living, breathing world. Like this feels sterile almost. Or, like, at the very least, let your primary Pokemon follow you around. Like, they did that in yellow. They did in Let's Go. I don't know why they... I mean, we don't know if that's not a thing yet. But it would, you would think it would be there. Like, it was in the first Let's Go footage. They're not... They're not seeing... Yeah, but that's Let's Go's whole thing. No, but my point is, like, they're not... They're not doing the thing they did with Sun Moon. where like, here it is in development as we're working on it. They're like, this is what the game will be. It's a tease of what's to come, but this will be. So not having the Pokemon out in the world, not having someone follow you when they show you walking around. The first Let's Go trailer was definitely like, uh, here's pretty much everything you need to know. No, 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 the Sun and Moon. Is, did I say Let's Go? Yeah, you did say Sorry, I meant Simon. My point was this wasn't like Sun and Moon where it was like, this is very much in development. Here's some wireframes. This is very much a normal game reveal. So I would expect the things that would then be there, like letting Pokemon follow you or having Pokemon wandering around would be there in the footage if that was their goal. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't like... It, feels, it still feels too early to comment on that. Maybe, but it That's... seems like... Well, definitely the Pokemon not walking in the wild is for sure not in there. That would be there if it was there. And I mean... And just about other general changes. Like, I mean, the fact that they didn't, I guess, change the camera perspective or, I guess, make it more open... I mean, I guess that's just a taste-by-taste case basis, but... It just feels like... I mean, they're minor things. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I feel like... I don't know. The game would have to be a different game for it to really, like, take advantage. Because, I mean, I feel like it's just going to go to waste. Like, you're going to be able to move the camera, but, like, so what? It's not like you could... Well, I mean, they move it, like, from one angle to another. I mean, why don't they just lower it behind? Like, what I'm saying is there is no... Like, the game's just very by the books, which is not necessarily a knock against it. It's just on a console where all Nintendo's AAA franchises are trying these new ideas, like Breath of the Wild or Mario Odyssey, where they keep the spirit of the game but do something a little different. I feel like right now they've been signaling this is exactly the core Pokemon experience you would expect it to be. Nothing more, nothing less. Which, don't get me wrong, I understand why they're doing it. This is, after all, the traditional Pokemon game they promised to fans as kind of the counterbalance to Let's Go's announcement. So people won't feel left out. Like they want this game not to split the fan base. They want this game to keep the fan base together. They don't want to upset any fans. I get why they're keeping it by the books. They want everyone on board here. But it just feels like I don't know. Maybe the innovation comes with Gen Nine or something. But it just feels like this was the this was really the chance to jump forward in some sort of way. Even Sun and Moon feels like it jumped forward more if you look back at it now. And then this one kind of just like stepped back. I I don't know because gyms are back and. Maybe it seems like I'm, maybe that's not even true. I don't know. I might be making a lot of assumptions, but something about it just felt like they weren't. They're definitely making a lot of assumptions. No, no, no. I'm just saying something about it just felt like they weren't doing. It felt like it was just an uprezzed handheld one when it could have been more. And that's not necessarily. Again, I get why. I th- I honestly think probably the most interesting thing they're gonna do is probably what you want, which is stuff involving battles. Like we know nothing about the battle system. So yeah, that might be where I mean, stuff gets interesting. I mean, that's probably why I'm very like, oh, it doesn't really matter if they do this or if they do that mm-hmm. because ultimately that's not what I play Pokemon for. Like, I play Pokemon for the battle. Like, literally, in Gen 4, it was such a huge deal that they introduced attacks that linger forever until right. you put another... Like, like Stone... No, not even Stone Age. It was Stealth Rock. That move single-handedly changed the way people build teams because you send it out... And it's just these rocks that stay floating around your battlefield until you have someone do rapid spin or what was it? Um, 
smog or something. Not smog. Anyway, one of those sure, moves. Yeah. That, and if you just don't have, and if you don't have any of those, then you're you're done. That's pretty much it. Because Stealth Rock will chip away like twelve percent of your health every time you switch into Pokemon. But if it's a Fire type, because that's a Rock type move, it'll literally take away a quarter of their health right. right off the bat. And if it's like a Fire Flying, then that's half their health automatically, which is huge. And then you know, like the next generations introduce like Mega Evolutions and Z moves, little things one at a time, but. Huge, huge things like for battles and how you build it's them. It's funny. You, the more you're talking about Alolans, battles, like it definitely, I don't know, it changed a lot of things. It made it, it um, always, that's always what kept me going back and then putting in like hundreds and hundreds of hours into these Pokemon right. games. Because, yeah, you don't care about the world or exploring it. You're after the battle mechanics. I get yeah, that. Yeah. And I mean, and I still enjoyed that. I mean, I have to go through it every time. I literally had to do it twice in Sun and Moon because when I transferred from my, oh, yeah, to race. My, my Excel to yeah. my new, not Excel. Like it erased, but I mean the game was fun enough. Like I mean I like running around the island. Yeah, I like that it was faster. Like that I didn't have to go through as many gyms. It was just kind of like bam, 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 you're done. You know what I'm kind of what I'm starting to realize? It's like Let's Go and Sword and Shield are like the yin and yang of each other to us. Like you were kind of whatever about Let's Go because it didn't do enough with the battling side of the series, but I loved it and it was all the world building. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And now I'm kind of like whatever about many aspects of Sword and Shield because it seems as if. They're ignoring the things I care about, but you're sounding more exciting, excited I mean, because it's about the battles. I mean, I'm definitely excited you. about the potential of Sword and Shield and what they're going to add to the battles this time. Yeah. It's just funny how, like, But the game is literally going, like, we already gave you your game and let's go. Go play that. Yeah, it, it is funny how, like, we're basically, like, everything that I couldn't understand why you didn't care about let's go is now probably how you, and literally is now what's happening with, sword, with what Sword I'm, and yeah. Shield. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because they're essentially forking the franchise in terms of, like do people prefer option a or yeah because to me yeah because yeah. like 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 i was saying earlier to your point about the three i was like i'm like what's the point it's like why yeah and and i honestly prefer the random encounters i just like them this way because then it allows there's a lot of gameplay elements that they revolve around the fact that you can't see the pokemon around there like they like? have they have chains like that's the whole that's a whole little sub thing they have chains in let's go really they do Oh wow! If you ca- I assume chains in the Let's Go sense are if you continue catching the same Pokemon over and over and over, stuff happens, right? Yeah. Like you get rewards essentially. Yes, they have chains. Okay, so that was one thing. But... Yeah, because yeah, that could work just fine. You just see it. It's actually streamlined because you don't have to keep going. Like, is this the one? Nope. Okay, let me exit. Is this the one? Nope. Let me run away. Is no, this... but if you're doing a chain, it's always going to be the same one. Like, there's. The stuff they did, like between lures and the and the Poke Radar and stuff like yeah. that, that made it so you're not really, if you're looking for something specific, you're gonna find it easily. Oh well, then much. same with when they're visible. That's like probably like the random. At least to me, the random encounter thing just feels almost unnecessary. Like everything you need random encounters for, you can do without them being mm. random the same way. Because they still have to spawn. You're just seeing them the second before the battle, instead of seeing them the second yeah, after the battle. But just, it felt more rewarding, I guess, when you found like a rarer Pokemon, I guess. Uh, well, I don't because know. Because then it's, it's like, still... oh, there it is. As opposed to like, oh, I finally got it. Like, oh, is this it? It's like, it keeps the suspense going I... up until the final moment, assuming... I feel like it's just the final moment scooted to 10 seconds earlier, but it's still the same thing. You're walking around, you're walking around. Oh, there he is coming out of the bushes. That's not much different. And take it from me, who spent way too long in Viridian Forest trying to catch a Pikachu at the star let's go it's still pretty rewarding when finally it shows up I think it was a Pikachu it must be a Pikachu yeah because I have Eevee so it had to be a Pikachu anyway I do want to clarify like I feel like I'm being super down and out I'm still quite looking forward to this game and I will probably buy it day one like I I didn't gush about the potential British Pokemon for nothing like it, I'm excited about where this could go I just 
I wouldn't say I'm underwhelmed because the game looks to be doing a lot right from what we've seen. I just have these little things I feel like were missed opportunities, in my opinion, that they could have done more with. But it is early, maybe too early, so I'm definitely keeping on. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not like, oh, they, this is a swing and a miss. Like, it's still a hit. I just, it, I just don't know if it's a grand slam. Is probably the best way to put it. Well, I mean, no one knows. Right. How could we? True, true. But I mean, like, the signs are suggesting it's not, in my opinion, but that's just me. Anyway, on the other hand, you know what? Pokemon Project is absolutely killing it right now, at least in my um, opinion. It's definitely not Detective Pikachu. It's definitely Detective Pikachu, oh. <laughs> in right. my opinion. That's why I added that, because I knew you probably wouldn't feel the way. But, uh, yeah, they put out a new trailer, and I don't know. that It pretty much secured it as my most anticipated movie of the year. Which I never thought I'd say about any video game movie, let alone a Pokemon one with realistic ones. But, like, I don't know. I think it's just how, like, well everything seems to translate to the big screen. I mean, not everything is pretty or cute. We kind of talked about this last time around. But, like, let's be honest. If you saw an Apom in real life, it wouldn't have the silly grin like it does in the game art. It would look absolutely ravenous like it does in the trailer. Like, they're they're doing they're doing it. It makes sense. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like – I mean, you saw the trailer, right? Mm-hmm. I – Maybe you agree or but I felt like they hit the, they got the right mix of tones in there. I mean, ignoring Pikachu saying hell, which was a little strange. I think they did like a great job of making it feel. Watch this through line of my my theme of this episode. They really made it feel like an inhabited Pokemon world. Apparently, I just want to live I in mean, a Pokemon. world. I got that from the first trailer too. Um, but this one has like, well, I'm not saying this one like. But you're saying that this is like. I'm saying it just shows it more. Yeah, because they like there's little like. They have like the the random shots like the Rhyme City police walking with their growlets, very much a nod to Officer Jenny. They have like a Machamp directing traffic. They have a little Easter not really an Easter egg, but a nod. The the Snorlax sleeping and he's blocking the bike path, which is obviously a reference for those who have played the games. It's just like I don't know, it just feels like they did a really good job of even more so than in the first one, of being like, Hey, every single frame of this movie has Pokemon tucked away. Like, I, like in a weird way to me, it's cooler than the in-your-face, like, here comes Mewtwo stuff that they did at the end. Like, that's not to say I don't appreciate the more direct world building, too. Like, the, the split second of that ba- Blastoise battling the Horde of Gengars, or presumably it's like they're doing double team or something out right now. But it feels like exactly what I'd expect a Pokemon battle to translate to in real life. Like, it it just it felt right, and then, then having it in an underground fight scenario just feels that much more realistic. Uh, sort of like cockfights or dogfights, which is not to say that I condone cockfights or dogfights, but I'm just saying, like, Rhyme City, the whole idea is they ban Pokemon fighting. That's one of the things with Detective Pikachu, and it's kind of... Like, this is how it would go down, and it, and it represented it well, and they had all sorts of neat little... I don't know. I, th- I think I may actually end up watching this movie twice, because I'm going to be so distracted by all the Pokemon spotting and the little winks and nods that's going to take me away from the main story... And I guarantee, no matter how many times I see it, well, at least the first time, I'm going to be having the biggest grin on my face the whole movie. Like, even watching the trailer, I couldn't stop smiling about it. It's fine, but now, like, I, I don't know. It's going to completely fry my brain, this thing. It's just going to be, it's what, not to oversell it here, but it's literally the exact vision of what I thought, like, Pokemon in real life would be since I got into, the, into it when I was, like, eight. It literally brought out the little Jason. Aaron. It really did. I'm not even kidding. And, like, I don't know. I mean, what what you you seem to be a little more grounded about this than me. <laughs> it's just another movie. That's pretty much it. But you don't have any like affinity with it because of what it because it's Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, I love Pokemon, but I mean, I'm not gonna get to battle when I watch this movie. So that's true. You're mostly about the battles. Again, it goes back to the the different appro- different approaches to Pokemon. I'm about the I'm all about the world. And I don't you're know. About Honestly, the, the mechanics. I would have been more excited if it was like all animated. 
Mm. I think if it's because it's all CG, I mean, because it's a live-action hybrid, like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, the Pokemon, like, look as great as you would expect them to be in a live-action world without, like, completely redoing their design, their designs to the point that you don't recognize them. Sure. Like, I can appreciate all that, but, I don't know. It's, I, I feel, I just feel neutral about it, I guess. Well, let me ask you this. If, any, on... if anything, watching the second trailer, like, I mean, I didn't play Detective Pikachu, but I know enough about it bec- that um, I pretty much know, like, oh, there's, like... Well, don't spoil anything for those who don't. Well, I mean, I think like the trailer already spoiled enough. But all trailers do a little, but don't go all the Especially way. Especially for a movie that's supposed to be like a mystery, but I guess after seeing the second trailer, I guess it's more of just well, it the depends. Comedy. I guess it's more of a you can thing. no, you can you can infer a few different directions they can go in with the mystery about his dad. There are like oh yeah, two... Pikachu gave us a whole bunch of them. <laughs> no, I mean separate from that, and that. Mm-hmm. By the way, the writing. The writing's actually quite again. Mine's Pikachu saying hell. The writing's really on point. Like there were no repeated jokes in any of the footage they've released so far, and they're all actually pretty funny. Mister Mime, I feel like is gonna steal the show. Like it's surprisingly well done in that regard too. But no, uh, what I was gonna say is there's the way they worded that about his dad and the hat and all that. There's multiple possibilities that they sort of leave open. You know what it's pointing to because you know what happens but if you have no idea there's at least two routes maybe three that could go now ideally there'd be 10,000 and you'd have no idea going in but they had to all movie trailers ruin things a little now so but I, I do think like between the writing and just everything about it, like I don't know this could be the movie that bucks the trend of bad video game movies like this could be the first genuinely good game movie that's like well received critically and by fans I mean besides you know besides my whole look at all the Pokemans meltdown that I've been kind of having here like it just seems we could definitely hope I it mean, seems it def- like it's on track I mean it definitely seems that way like whether yeah. I'm like crazy about it or not it definitely it, looks like a right like an enjoyable movie and like and you know that obviously marketing's job is to make you go see a movie but I feel like the fact that it's firing on so many cylinders so well like they know they have a good product on their hands here. I mean, just like look at that Ryan Reynolds, um, what do they call it? The, the video he put out the day before the trailer, Becoming Pikachu or Outside the Actors Studio, whatever it is. We'll, we'll put a link up, um, on the blog post for those who haven't seen it, but it's very Deadpool-esque in its meta humor, but they head on address things that would be critiques of the movie if the movie wasn't good. You know, like Ryan Reynolds using his normal voice for Pikachu instead of like a different voice. Um, the fact that they're months in advance sort of addressing that, feels like they know they have a good movie because you wouldn't point out the most obvious bad thing about the movie if the whole movie was bad because it sets a bad tone but they if they're saying they can overcome that that's good and the fact they even got his wife involved like blake lively's in the video too that's kind of like they they seem confident about it um so yeah. if you haven't watched that watch my that. little pikachu has definitely grown on me a lot yeah and um you know, actually, the ultimate vote of confidence is for something like this and this was stuff that was reported a month or two ago but we never really got to they're already making plans for sequels and spinoffs before it's even out. Now, to be fair, this isn't 100% official yet, but Hollywood Reporter reported that... Uh, How accurate wh- are they? What? How accurate are they usually? Hollywood Reporter is very accurate. They're, they're a trade industry magazine. Usually they break news. So when they're saying this is basically true, but Warner Brothers hasn't commented. But Warner Brothers and Legendary are apparently making the sequel already. They have commissioned one of the writers of 22 Jump Street, which is promising, to handle the script... Uh, interestingly, it's the same guy who wrote the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog movie, which I want to use as a mark against him, 
but considering we know nothing about the Sonic movie except that Sonic looks weird, it's probably a little premature to do that. And I know this is ironic coming from me, the guy who spent 20 minutes over analyzing a two-minute trailer of Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield, but nonetheless, I'm saying it's probably premature to say this guy can't write a movie. But, um, yeah, where things really get interesting, so that's one thing. Also, They're doing what do you a think, sequel. Um, best picture? For Pikachu? I I don't. What category think... can it even go in? Like, can it even count as a special effects? Just special effects? Like, it can't even be in best adaptation. If it's really good, it could be best adaptation. That's true. It is an adaptation. Uh, adapted screenplay. Yeah. Um. Since it is one. So. It, yeah. You know what? I'm just gonna say it now. I would love it for best it to Pikachu. Win that, best Pikachu or best Pikachu. <laughs> best picture should go to Pikachu. Best actor should go to Pikachu. Not Ryan Reynolds. Like the actual CG fuzzy Pikachu. But, uh, yes, yeah, so I don't know. Like, the fact that they're doing a sequel is pretty promising. And then where things really get interesting, to kind of get back to what I was saying a second ago, is uh, there's a separate rumor from a site called We Got This Covered that suggests there are two more live-action Pokemon uh, also coming down the pipe. One will focus on... From Mew- Legendary? From Legendary. One will focus on Mewtwo, which makes sense because he's turning into, like, a big bad in Detective Pikachu, at least based off the trailer. And uh, to be clear, this is a different... Mewtwo movie, the Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution, which just got a trailer the other day. This would be something else. And then the other is one based on Ram Blue. But now that I mentioned Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution, that kind of came out of nowhere. We got the, we had three days of Pokemon trailers. It was like Tuesday was Detective Pikachu, Wednesday was Sword and Shield, and Thursday was Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. It's the Japanese teaser. It's only about a minute long. But you were saying you kind of wish this was fully animated. Well, here's your fully animated Pokemon movie. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. What do you, th- you think of it? Like, I'm curious, as the animation guy. I mean, guy, this is literally the the Link's Awakening remake of yeah, Pokemon. Yeah, they, they went with the toy aesthetic. Yeah, the funny thing is that... For or like, do you mean in terms of the it's no, one-to-one? just it's a one-to-one. Oh, like, and the toy aesthetic. The, the Ash and them look like little toys. Like, there's nothing so far. Like, the trailer so far has been like a one-to-one recreation of what the original movie was. Right. Which on one... Like, on one hand, it's like, all right, cool. Like, I, I'd i be lying if I didn't say, like, I've tried to imagine what this movie would look like with, you know, like, in, a, in CG form, like, with modern technology. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a few scenes in there that I would love to see animated in CG. But then, on the other hand, it kind of falls into, you know, the whole, if a movie is a one-to-one remake, then why even make it? Like, it feels kind of pointless. Kind of like... So, the Disney live-action mindset yeah. or la- or the which is like, counter mindset which it can be done right like Disney I'll give them a lot of credit for Maleficent like that one could have just been Beauty and the Beast or what looks like Lion King where I know it's pretty much like a remake like everything is the same the trailer for Lion no, King is shot for shot like no no plot twist or anything yeah. like it's the same movie but at least Maleficent like expanded on the story and even changed pretty big aspects of it to just make it significantly more interesting. Like I thought, I actually really enjoyed the film. By and the way, it, and it definitely stood its own. So I was kind of hoping, I don't know, maybe they'll do something similar. Well, they can't do something similar to this one. The game, I mean, the yeah, the story of that Mewtwo, I guess, is already kind of set in stone. But but how they go about getting yeah. that story can vary. Yeah. By the way, we're a little hard on Lion King. It will have an entirely new song, for the record. I'm sure it's probably that. Ah, for the record, I'm full of these horrible unintentional puns today. Oh my god! Uh, it's probably no, some but, deleted song that never made it into the original. No, I think it's a new one they got Beyonce to write or something like that. Uh-huh. But it is a new one. Well, that's unfortunate. Oh no wonder you don't like the new Lion King. It also has Childish Gambino, 
Everything that Josh Gambino touches turns to not gold. <laughs> Everything oh. he's touched, the light is his. Yeah. Anyway, um, anything light touches your kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I'm definitely gonna check it out. I'm actually more interested in that one than Detective Pikachu for sure, just for what it could mean for these kind of movies. Because, yeah. like, if they're gonna remake the all these Disney movies, which they are, and they were not gonna stop, obviously, um, I would prefer to see them like with like CG animation, like with what they did with Wreck It Ralph and like I mean, those movies like they just look the CG and movie just keep looking more and more amazing. So I'm all like, whoa! Like I would love to see how these old movies would look like I with that technology. You, I assume you mean stylized CG because Lion King is about 95% CG. So you mean like stylized, like animated art. Well, I mean, I was right? mainly referring to these like live action ones. I mean, No, like Lion King, they're claiming is live action, but no, none of the animals are real. No, I know. That's, and a photo, they're the only that, thing that's, that's just photorealism. That's not yeah, that's what I'm saying. Action. So you want stylized animation, not just him, not just CG because that is Lion King. You want stylized. Yeah, but... Right? Lion King's an outlier because it's like the only one that's yeah, all CG right now. That's true. Yeah. Like Jungle I'm, Book was almost all CG. I know, yeah. yeah, I know. I'm speaking in general. Like yeah, the majority yeah. of them are live action. Something. Yeah, like that. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And now I lost my train of thought. Thanks, Eugene. Thanks. <laughs> Did you just call it Eugene? <laughs> so thanks, Jace. Thanks. Oh, I thought you said Eugene. I'm like, we've been doing this for how many years, and you don't know my name? No, but you're saying about um, you'd rather see it be animated over live action, and be stylized, and use the modern technology to create yeah, the new then, look. But then at that point too, like, I don't know, like same thing with okay now, like going back to the Lion King, they're um, James Earl Jones is reprising his role. Yeah. Which to me feels like even more of a like, why at that point? I like, guess if you're going to change so much of it, just change everything. I because th- I, cause at that point, it almost feels almost kind of like disrespectful to the original artist. Like, that's kind of why, like, I've never been fully in favor. Like, I, like, as Pipe Dreams, I would love to see like certain CG animated remakes, like stylized CG animated remakes, like cartoony. Um, of like the old Disney films just like parts of them or maybe whole movies but sure, just yeah. like but like as a fan project or something like that I wouldn't want it to be done like for profit because it feels like yeah it just feels like a, like a disrespectful move to the original animators that did it there's definitely a vibe especially of... if it's like a one to one kind of like this Pokemon one because it's like yeah. they did all this work and and it still holds up to this day but especially there's... if they try to reprise some of the roles too then it's even more like why there's definitely an element with the Disney ones like and probably with the, the Pokemon ones of we can achieve. We can go after two markets this way. Kids, it'll be something new. Parents, it'll be them or adults that don't have kids. They'll be like, "How's this compare to the original? I should go see it and find out." So they actually are like double dipping on the audience instead of just having, you know, what yeah. I mean, like they're, they're gonna get a bunch of laps. It's literally Nintendo's laps gamer approach with the Switch, but to movies. I mean, it's literally it, and yeah. I mean, it's the same reason we keep getting like reboots, remakes, and everything mm-hmm. every couple of years. It's like, yeah. well, let's get the kids. These, like, these kids haven't seen this version yet, and we don't want to show them that old one. Right. It's going to look dated. Yep. I mean, I get the practice, and I mean, you just speak with your wallet. I mean, they can exist. I mean, I haven't seen the majority of the live action Neither have I. Yeah. Uh, Disney movies, and I don't really plan to. And I only really saw Maleficent because it was in a bus ride between states and Mexico when I was over there. The, so, the the funny thing is, yeah. to bring this back to the Pokemon stuff, the other rumored new movie that Legendary is apparently making is a live-action retelling of an existing thing. They are going to be adapting Red and Blue, potentially in ways that mirror the Pokemon Origins anime miniseries. So basically what you're describing, but on a slightly smaller scale. Like, the exact same problem. The exact same idea. I mean, it, it's it's... 
a more interesting one and perhaps more outlandish well, that one has of the more rumors. Of creativity, because I mean, we just had the games, and then the anime isn't even close to what the games like 100. percent Like, there's my my concern just go is that movie versus something like Detective Pikachu's proper is going to fall into the trap that most oh. video game video game movies fall into, which is when you stay close to the core source material, it doesn't really work because that material is built for a game. So maybe if they do it off the anime, it will work a little better. But I think one of the reasons Detective Pikachu works as well as it does is because it's not trying to check the boxes of the Pokemon series as we know it. Like, it's not trying to hit all, well, the, I mean, all the points this... that a Pokemon game hits. It's taking a spinoff that was narrative-driven and is like, sweet, let's just use that narrative. Done. Well, that's like, So mean... if they do it off the anime, you're right. It might be okay. If they do it off the games, the rumor's saying the games, which also inspired the anime, is what's inspiring this. So I don't know if they mean... They're gonna rip they, off the anime. I mean, if or they're the gonna game. look at the anime, the games, yeah. and even the manga. Like the manga would probably be a good place to look, just because. Yeah, that's true. It pretty much follows the game more closely than the anime. Yeah, the and, whole Pokemon Adventure series. Yeah, the Adventure yeah. series. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like not to give them any cash grabby ideas, but I feel like if they're gonna do this, it would probably have to be a trilogy or something because to squeeze in literally going from Pilot Town to the Elite Four in one movie. Yeah. It's just assuming they even do that. Yeah, assuming they yeah, assuming they even do that. Like assuming this is gonna happen, like if it's gonna be one movie, they would have to do that and which means just a ton of montages. We're gonna just like at one point we're probably gonna see it's gonna take like forty minutes for him to get like the first two badges and then the next six it's just gonna be one long montage. So what you're saying is this could be Bohemian Rhapsody, but instead of Queen music it'll be Ash earning badges. Because Bohemian Rhapsody is the most shallow two-hour-long montage I've ever seen. I love how it's like... So I imagine it's going to be like that. <laughs> we need a song that will get the people invested. Then they do like the two beats, and then it's them playing it professionally. Or yep, that, that's how music writing works. Just like, hey, I have an idea for a song. It'll go, ba-da-da. And then suddenly there's a whole rock band playing my ba-da-da with lyrics. Instantly. That's how it always works. It kind of reminds me of a skit um, from Robot Chicken. That's one of my favorites that they've ever done. It's mm. called... Um, you pretty much send up for a subscription called Just the Good Parts where you watch a movie and it just skips to just the, the good parts. parts. Yeah. And so we'll just skip around to like just the good parts. So that Bohemian Rhapsody just kind of reminds me of wow, they just, they just skip a lot of what you would imagine would be like trial and error, some yeah. like, more movie, but then it just skips to, you know, the, the queen soundtrack. Yeah, literally. Or yeah. they just recreate live aid for 20 minutes. It's like, I could watch this on YouTube with Freddie Mercury. Like Ronnie Malk's great, but I could watch it with Freddie Mercury proper. Like, I didn't realize the movie was also that pan, but they showed like, oh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, and then it just skipped to the credits because that was. Like, yeah, it was a very <laughs> slow movie. Like for a movie about a giant ape that tears apart a place, like it's like, wow, this is like I watched molasses. It, I watched it when it came out, and it was like, I don't know, maybe I was just a very patient person, but it felt fine to me. No, like I, I'm, I don't mind slow paced movies, but it's just like we all know where this is going. Like you don't need to spend that long. Like we're still on the boat in the ocean. Like the boat's gonna tip over. We're not gonna make it to land with King Kong, except obviously you are because the whole set piece is coming up still. Like you don't need to spend that long. Uh, anyway, the other thing that's interesting about the Pokemon rumor, if they were to do that, and you're saying about a trilogy, is well, yeah, it has to be a trilogy. Well, there's this, there's this Find line. A plot, get the through line. There's, there's this line in the report that kind of caught my eye. Legendary's hope, though, is that they can use the movie as a springboard towards launching a cinematic universe of live-action Pokemon movies. And Mm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Try to be Marvel. Like, I'm not confident how that's going to turn out. I think a huge part of what makes Detective Pikachu work is as Pokemon as we've kind of never really seen it, like at least most people, on the big screen for the first time. Like, they... They can do sequels. They can do Mewtwo prequels. That makes sense because it's kind of sticking to that. But what happens like 
You know, y- the Squirtle need... Squad are going to get their own movie. I'm just, no, like, I'm just get... trying to think about how this would work. Squirtle like... Squad is going to get a Netflix-only show. <laughs> and that, that's going to be and like... It gets their... canceled and moved to Disney+. Plus. That's going to be like their Defenders equivalent. Yeah. It's going to be like a whole bunch of them. It's just, actually, I would or watch it. Be... I would watch Oh, no. That. It's going to be five different Squirtle that each have their own show. And then the Squirtle Squad is going to be that show. That and and all the together. dialogue is just Squirtle Squirt. I would actually... It's going to be subtitled, yeah, with like I, English. I won't lie. I would watch that. But no, my concern is like... If you do sequels or Mewtwo prequels or whatever, like that can work because you have the story hooks. Like the stories are hooked in you already. Like people are like, oh, that Mewtwo I saw in Tech Pikachu. Yes, what's his backstory? What happens next to, uh, to Tim and Pikachu? Like what's next for their adventures? And at least a large portion of the audience will be on board with that deeper lore, right? Like not all of them, but some of them. But launching an entirely separate series of stories, like, they don't have a single connecting thread. There's no Avengers initiative in Pokemon. There's no Thanos equivalent in Pokemon. Like, there's a reason I feel like Universal's Dark Universe monster movie ideal idea failed already. And that DC had to backpedal on a full DC extended universe and now does kind of this, like, interesting thing where some of the movies are very loosely connected, but they're also their own things. If they did that for Pokemon, maybe. But I don't see how they can make red and blue into a movie and then have it match up with Detective Pikachu and not have it feel super contrived and fake. Like, it's... It doesn't... They're I know they're going to have their own Avengers and their Thanos is going to be Deoxys because the alien. Deoxys is going to win at the end. Half the Pokemon are going to die and they'll say, like, Deoxys will return. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, I don't want that necessarily at all, I don't think. So it's interesting oh, yeah, that no, they're going to be some of those... I mean... There are Pokemon that literally control t- the flow of time, and then there's a Pokemon that controls. Space. We're not gonna have a Pokemon Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're like, basically out there already. If you collect those, if you have, if you control those, like it's literally gonna be this dude that has to go and capture those specific legendaries. So he pretty much controls, like if he gets Groudon, he controls literally the Earth, like the continents. If he gets Kyogre, he controls the ocean. And what? There's a character named Zocket Zigzagoon. Like I don't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> like how does this? How close are they gonna go here? Is there gonna be like a Wakanda equivalent? Like, I don't know, uh, Johto Forever? Like, I don't understand. Like, what's gonna, how's this work? It just well, doesn't. It's not our job to figure that out. So. Oh, hopefully it's not their job either. And they realize that a true connecting universe won't work, but they could do like loose ones, sure. Like, they just do different I mean, unless movies. they do like literally just, like, they're just going through different regions. Yeah. And they're just, that's, as much of a cinema as, as universe as you can get. Like, yeah. maybe the previous champion might turn up later to battle the current, like, protagonist or something, but that'd be... Yeah. Like, that's, the, that's the best... Literally, pretty much just, like, the adventure series, because the adventure series it's just goes game that. to game, and they're all still connected. Like, sometimes they you get cameos of the previous characters. And, you know, honestly, let's not put the cart before the horse here. They've been doing this, essentially, for 20-plus years with the Pokemon TV show, and Ash has yet to win anything. Can Ash just win something before they start making a separate, competing, he never-ending the, story? He was, he's the Orange Island champion. Okay, that doesn't count. That's not a thing, and that's not a... Right, and, and then Tracy takes photos. Okay. but Or sketches, or whatever it is he does. He sketches. Wow. He doesn't take photos. I, don't get me wrong. I love the Orange wow. Island ones when I watched it, but looking back, How I'm like, that's... dare you the... forget Todd? His name was Tracy. Oh, yeah, Todd did the photos. Tracy. Wow. You know, for a guy who's saying so many puns today, I didn't connect Tracy with the guy that traces. <sighs> wow. I didn't realize that my entire life till now. Well, anyway, you know what's funny about this idea of, like, video games properties spreading into other directions and becoming extended universes? 
around the same time that this Pokemon thing popped up. This one I think might potentially be relevant to your interest. Deadline, who is a very reliable ho- uh, Hollywood trade site, they reported that Netflix is doing something similar to Resident Evil now. Apparently, Resident Evil Extended Universe? Kind of. Constantine Film, which is the company behind the Resident Evil movies and has the rights to it, wants to create a TV series. Wait, which one? The live action ones or the CG ones? The live action ones, but none of the people involved with the live action. They're the rights holder. That's it. Okay. But the uh, So that wrapped up. Paul W.S. Anderson did the final chapter and that's done. But now they want to make a TV show that deeps, like, dives deeper into the lore of like the going-ons within Umbrella Corp as the T-virus outbreak occurs and how it's shaping the world and how they as a company like handle that. So they're going to be doing – they're hoping to do a show about that and then potentially tie it into reboots of the movies. So given how much you, specifically you, Angel, talked up Resident Evil last episode, like what would it – what are your thoughts? Is this something that would interest you? Like what do you need it to be? What's your dream Resident Evil like show? Because they're literally starting from scratch. But they want to do the whole shebang. So how uh, do they do it? I thought about this, and honestly, I feel... I mean, if they're making it, it's because they feel like there's money to be had. But I personally, as someone that already consumes Resident Evil, right. um, I feel like I don't need a TV show. Because the current games, at least like Resident Evil 2, like this newest one, mm-hmm. like it's pretty cinematic. And very. it just does a really good job of just telling you the story that... I mean, you get so much more info from the game than you ever could from a TV show. Like, there's just so much, like, you know, like, even without the stuff that bold they... Bold claim. Well, no, I, mean, I don't mean... I'm not, like, quite, I'm just like, that's a bold claim. It's not even a bold claim. It's like, if, if... I mean, have you seen Skyrim? They have, like, actual books with 300 pages in them that you can actually read. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. They have the whole library. Someone actually... Um, I forgot his name from Polygon. He actually read every single book. Oh, and, no. And How long did it take him? Uh, I forgot, but he wasted a lot of. Is the guy? Is it the guy that did the fifteen minute Sonic, back, like Sonic backstory? Yeah, the Bible. Thing yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy's he, actually pretty funny. I forgot his name, but he's pretty funny. Yeah, he poor him and all the time he spent reading all those books. There's actually like an equivalent of um, Fifty Shades of Grey in Skyrim. No, yeah, I forgot. Does it involve taking arrows to the knee? That's that series, right? That's the reference to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think, isn't it? Is that? Yeah, that but anyway, that? I mean, but yeah, like like in Resident Evil, like I mean. The, the story they're trying to tell, like, you know, how Umbrella got into what they were yeah, doing. Yeah. But besides that, I mean, there's, like, extra video logs. There's, like, letters. Oh, okay, that's what you're saying. Like, I mean, there's, like... It's like the Metroid Prime scanning back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. The story was just told so well that I feel like you could literally cut out, like, the gameplay bits or edit them in a way, and it would you would have, like, a movie. Like, a legitimate movie. Which is interesting, because, like... Especially nowadays, like, I mean, you wouldn't really be able to do that before, but just because of the way games are made now and just because they tend to be more cinematic, especially during cutscenes. Oh, totally. Like, you, it wouldn't be, like, it wouldn't be incorrect for you to mistake it for, like, a CG TV show or something, or even a CG movie. Maybe that's so. the route to go. It is interesting, though, that, like... But I would, if I had, if there, if it was going to be made, which it sounds like it is, Yeah. I mean, I'd rather it be a CG, like the, like the CG movies they had. Those are really cool. I Did Capcom make those? I want to say they did. Cause... Or did they like? It wasn't. It obviously wasn't um, these guys. It wasn't uh, whatever film, whatever their name was. Cont- um, Constantine. I don't remember who made them, but those were definitely. I mean, if anything, those were the in-universe movies compared to the live-action one. Because the yeah. live-action ones pretty much just it, took inspiration from Resident Evil. Yeah, and ran with it. And it took like some characters, and it just made, they made up their own story. 
Yeah, it, it's always like there's no me... Mila Djokovic character in Resident Evil. Right, right. It it did always strike me as interesting. But the how... games had, I mean, they had Leon. They had like a lot of the main. Yeah. It it did always strike me interesting how Capcom has been so hands off with Resident Evil across other medium media. Like, Pokemon Company, you know, like, look at Detective Pikachu. You could tell Pokemon Company has their hands all over. Like, it's incredibly on point, so to speak. But then you have, as you point out, like, Paul W.S. Anderson just running wild with Resident Evil. And Resident Evil movies do fine. They together made, like, $1.2 billion. So, from it seems like... It seems like maybe, maybe if Capcom was a little more hands-on and did CG, it could be something that would interest the people that have bought the 90 million Resident Evil games that have been sold. That's a new stat that just came out last week, they, or the other day even. Capcom has sold 90 million, 90 million Resident Evil games. Whoa. So, there's a, I think there, I think to your point, there's an appetite there for making something that's a little closer to the games, possibly, because a lot of people. And maybe that will then entice the people that like the uh, Anderson works prior, prior to that. I don't, I don't know. But are you finding who... Uh, yeah, I was looking for... It's funny because I typed Resident Evil movies and there's like no mention of the CG one. So I have to type Resident Evil movies animated and it's like, oh, there they are. So is it is it commissioned by Capcom or did they hand that one off too? Well, I mean, I just found those. So. Uh, well, I need answers now, right now. Listen, look, time's a ticking. We gotta. We have people listening. I'm killing dead air right now by just repeating it things. It doesn't look like it says. I just see... Interesting. Like director, Makoto Kamiya. Not the same Kamiya. Right, yeah, I assume it's not the same one as Platinum. But. Yeah. Unknown. Huh. Well, I guess we'll see where this goes. But Produced by 15 different people. Are, is one of them just Mr. Capcom? Or like Mega Man? First name Mega, last name Man? <laughs> oh, yeah, Dr. There, Light? Yeah, there it is. Dr. Wily? Anyway, you were saying? Yeah. Um, no, I was saying it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, Resident Evil, which in and of itself is a tangent from our Pokemon conversation, which was a oh. dominant thing in the news. Well, um. Just because I, before I forget, because this was yeah. just, an, just an tidbit that I learned, I don't even know from where, but before the first Resident Evil live action movie came out, um, yeah, Capcom was such a huge fan of George Romero that they had him write yeah. the original script, but yep. I guess they didn't like it and they got rid of it. It was like, too. Now I want to know that. Like, it was what, too much, I think, for Capcom. And apparently, like, George Romero, like, was really into the Resident Evil games. Even though he didn't play them, he had someone play them for him, and he would literally watch the entire game being played and just take notes. I so, believe that. So I really want to see that script. Like, I hope it's somewhere on the internet. You never know. that It could resurface with this new project. Like, that's the kind of interesting thing about them rebooting Resident Evil as a show and movie, or at least as a show, or at least as a movie, is, like, everything's on the table again. Everything that's changed in video game movies, everything they've learned from the evolution of the learned. franchise, or it's not learned, like or not learned, and then can learn from the mistakes of, like, there's a lot of opportunity here, and I think to bring it back to Pokemon, I think Detective Pikachu is perhaps the first byproduct of people actually looking at the legacy of video game movies and looking at what it takes to make it not the movie based on game but a movie that is a companion piece to the game where people will actually be able to enjoy it equally but differently you know what I mean like instead of being like oh the gamers like this how do we make it appeal to non-gamers it's like here's how you actually do things that can be eaten up by everyone potentially I'm, pu- I'm putting I'm really raising my pedestal here with Resident Evil so we'll see I, I, who knows but um, outside of Pokemon what I was starting to say is there was one other bit of news about Nintendo Juggernaut of a very different kind, and that was Reggie. So, as I'm sure anyone, this is quite the hard pivot here, but as I'm sure anyone who has listened to 
who is listening to this show or has listened to us in the past knows, Mr. Fizeme has announced that he's retiring after 15 years at Nintendo of America, 13 of which he was president. And Nintendo put out this really nice video message. It was him thanking fans and discussing the company. And it made me realize something kind of interesting about Reggie that I wanted to share, which is that, yes, of course... He had a major role at Nintendo and made a huge impact on the business side. I mean, you can't, you can just look at his efforts spearheading DS and Wii in the in the West. Like the way he was able to market the message of those systems so clearly and appeal so much to non-gamers really shows his business talent, at least. But what I'm really talking about, what I'm really interested in, what I kind of noticed is how intertwined he became with Nintendo as an entity. Like Reggie was Nintendo. Nintendo was Reggie. I mean, think back to that. Think back to that E3 he popped up at in, what, 2004, his very first E3 with the whole My Name is Reggie, I'm about kicking ass, I'm about taking names, we're about making games. Like that, Nintendo perfectly paired that with his, like, whole, you know, they had that, like, guns a-blazing attitude of his, and then they were dropping bombshell after bombshell at that press conference. It was them back with a vengeance, and the DS. Well, that one, the DS, I am. It's the DS. DS, it was the infamous first trailer for Twilight Princess where people were crying because real Zelda's back. Like, all that was one conference. Is the first teases of Revolution, which then became Wii, obviously. Like, all of that was that one conference, and it was Reggie coming out saying, I'm kicking ass, I'm taking names. He apparently didn't even want to say that. Really? He was convinced, yes, he should say that. And th- the thing is, like, that moment did something else besides just Nintendo's bravado that I think really changed Nintendo forever and how we view the company, and that is Reggie instantly had a cult of personality around him. Before that, there were people like Miyamoto and Yamauchi, the old president of Nintendo, and whoever, and they did interviews, and they were they're kind of around, but they weren't really like public figureheads in a way. Like Nintendo didn't have like a public face in a way, but and they certainly they certainly didn't have anyone that would like generate memes in the way that Reggie did. And as that continued with each new thing that Reggie did or said, intentional or not, you know, my body is ready. I feel like a big purple Pikmin, what have you. Like every time he did that, I think Nintendo realized. This is a very effective way to connect with fans. Like, some of it, I'd argue, is just lucky timing. The internet's meme culture kind of rose up with social media in a way it never really had before. And Reggie was right there for the ride at the same time. But, like, look at how they started doing weird little things with me, with Iwata shortly after that. Or having Miyamoto and other developers dressed up. Or, like, how even when the NCL presidencies changed to Kimishima and now to Furukawa how like people were looking to make memes of these guys like there's that picture of Kimishima with a stern face and like oh he's like he's clearly an angry person because we're going to make it look like he's the terminator or something it's like they're just trying to make memes because like that that's what we do now as nintendo fans we embrace the company the people of the company and i think a lot of this goes back to reggie as kind of like the forefather of it all as unintentional as it may have been and besides like just his business acumen i think that this whole thing about him sort of becoming like a figurehead and making memes that's weirdly why I think I might miss about Reggie the most because he didn't just generate like a fan culture. He embraced it and that's what was cool about it. Like he played along. He got it. You know, they did stuff like the E3 direct with robot chicken. You mentioned them earlier where they animated him and they had him threatening people by shooting lasers out of his eyes when they brought up mother three or like when I shot him with fireball or yeah, or yeah, that's right. Or there was the, he also had lasers in his eyes. In that same conference, but I also get it from other three, yeah. That was from the... Oh, that's, uh, that's the, the, uh, Fizemek. Yeah, yeah that was that's a, Fizemek from the Smash Invitational announcement. That was a Mega 64 thing. Yeah, that's right, it was Mega 64. But, they, you know, they had that. They had the year they became Muppet. He became Muppet. They had, like, you know, even little things like him trash-talking Hungrybox at Smash Invitational or, like, on much smaller scale. Jeff Keighley and him used to do ongoing interviews on GTTV when that was still on Spike. 
where like it was this interesting weird little banter where they kind of be ribbing each other and kind of like sort of seriously but sort of jokingly like always trying to one up each other and they did all these gaming competitions like all of that stuff only works because Reggie was the type of guy who'd be game to do that stuff and a lot of it was cheesy some of it was a bit cringy but you could tell he like genuinely appreciated the fan culture and made all the engagement they had with him kind of a two-way street and gave back to them and that was something you don't see very often like even when he let his uh pr guard down a bit you know like when he did um there's a nintendo minute last year where he was reminiscing with kit and krista about the whole rollout for smash bros ultimate from the first tease to the final release and it was really just candidly talking about the experience and what it was like on the on his side like that was kind of cool that you wouldn't really see a lot of execs do or like uh the Game Awards, you know, he spoke about Iwata after he passed, and he held it together, but there's like a little twinge of emotion there that you could see, and it, it just shows that he really does care about the gaming world and is passionate about it, and, and more specifically the Nintendo fan community. And I think that, I'm really go. I know I'm like going on and on, but I honestly think that's why his retirement was met with such a huge outpouring of kind words and affection, because like, he obviously achieved great things on the business side, but you don't become Twitter's worldwide number one trending topic and get The Rock to tweet about you and your success. You don't have a video that has 6.6 million views last I checked just saying you're leaving and go on to have one of, if not the most retweeted and liked tweets ever on Nintendo America's account. Like, you don't do that stuff if you're just good at business. You earn that by going above and beyond. You earn that by having a connection with the fans and kind of having that back and forth in that two-way street, and that's what Reggie did, and I think that is why it was such a big deal. It is such a big deal he's leaving. Because there's no way that you can think of any Nintendo event of note since 2004 and Reggie's not somehow tied to that. Pretty good to be retiring too, right? Yeah, well, hey, he has a bunch of money. <laughs> why right. not? He's doing well. And, I mean, it also helps that the dude's legitimately nice. Like, we we had the privilege of meeting him. I, I've met him twice. He met him once, right? With me, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, like, he, in both instances, went out of his way to say hi and let us take a photo. I mean, one of them... Um, Anyone who's a long-time listener has heard these stories, but for those who maybe haven't, um, the first time we met him was was that the Holy Trinity Day, right? Yeah, everyone was there. Yeah, so we were... Everyone is here. Everyone is here. We were outside the uh, now Microsoft Theater, then Nokia Theater, and they were coming out the stage door, and they were like, it was Reggie, Miyamoto, and Iwata, and they were crossing the street Abbey Road style, like single file. And I was an idiot and didn't take a photo, and it still haunts me to this day. But um, and they, you know, they kind of acknowledged us, and they had places to go or whatever. And then Reggie actually like peeled off and came over, and was like said hi, and basically like, hey, I only have a second, but hey. And then we, you got a photo with him. Yeah, on my 3ds. Yeah, on your 3ds because you're that dedicated of a, fan, of a fan. But no, it was like like he didn't have to do that. The other two were like, you know, they kind of gave us a wave and acknowledged us, but they had places to go. And Reggie's like, nah, I'm gonna say hi to these guys. And then the the second time I met him was at E3 a couple years later in E3. I must have told the story in the podcast. This is the most weird. So the back the back of E3 has a restroom that's very close to Nintendo's booth. And the weird thing about this restroom is you go in the door, and it's not actually the restroom. It is a staircase to another door where the restroom is. And I was coming down that staircase, and Reggie was coming up that staircase. And I was like, well, I need to say hi, Reggie. And I asked him if we could take a photo, not thinking it's in the bathroom, but it's also not not in the bathroom. It kind of is, and it kind of isn't. So it was a little weird in retrospect, but I was like, hey, can I get a photo? And he kind of laugh like i realized pretty quick that i was asking a weird place i'm like i mean like not here that's weird like out i don't know and he was kind of like we'll see we'll see maybe yeah wait till i'm back outside and we'll see 
Um, he, he was nice about it. It was definitely awkward. And then I get outside, so I'm like waiting. And I'm like, wait, this is dumb. I'm not going to wait. Like, why would I wait? Like, that's who knows how long I'll be in the bathroom. Like, that's weird to be just like waiting. Uh, so I get, I get out my phone to figure out where whoever I'm hanging out with is. And then I'm starting to walk away. Like, I'm a couple feet from, I'm, I'm a little beyond the bathroom now. And then I just hear him behind me goes, so we're taking the photo? And he actually, like, he didn't just, like, go, oh, good, he's not paying attention. I'm just going to slip away. He actually came over and made sure we took the photo. And then we took the photo. And he weirdly, like, we took the selfie. And I was like, cool, thanks. Or, you know, kind of, like, I took the photo. The flash went off. Or not the flash, the shutter. And I was just like, uh, okay, I think the photo's done. So I started, like, lowering my hand. And he was still standing there posed, ready for more of them. I'm like, uh, I'm good. Th- thanks, Reggie. But, like, it was... Like, he was very much like, okay, this guy wants a photo. I'm going to give him my full attention. We're going to take the photo. Mm-hmm. I will hunt him down, even though his back is now turned and he's clearly Damn walking I'm going to make him regret asking. Yeah, but it was like, and it was cool. And he, you know, I, I think that was the year, that might have been the year of Breath of the Wild demo. So, you know, I was talking about Breath of the Wild for a minute. And yeah, he was very nice. It was a weird way to meet him in a more proper setting than when we met him, or in a less proper setting in a way, than when we met him outside a couple years prior. But yeah, it's just like, that's the type of guy he was. Like, he didn't have to do that, but he did. And it was very nice. So... I don't know if you have anything you want to add about Reggie. I feel like we're doing a eulogy for a guy who isn't dead, but like he really, in a way, he it's like he's dying in the Nintendo world, sort of. So, um, not too much. I mean, he was, I mean, he was friendly the first time I met him, only time I met him. Other than that, I mean, I did enjoy seeing him on Nintendo Directs. He was very cold. I don't know. Some of his cold deliveries were just, I just thought were amusing. Yeah, he has a very interesting delivery style where like. It's both, like, very good and also kind of not. <laughs> like, it's hard to... It's like, I don't know, I, I get a very... I mean, kind of going back to his, that, that one quote, like, not my problem. <laughs> like, um, like everything he says kind of, like, has that hint to it where it's like... This little, is, like, like, like sass. So, like, like, this is what we're announcing. You could take it or leave it. I don't care. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. And, I mean, for most of the time, he's right. Most of the time, Nintendo announced stuff, it was huge. There were exceptions. The year that City Folk, Alan Crossing City Folk, was their big holiday game. He's like, no, everyone will love it. This is our big holiday game. He later on was like, okay, maybe it wasn't a big holiday game. Or like the Wii U, that whole thing. He's been candid about that. But yeah, for the most part, his attitude of, hey, this is what we're doing, trust me, has been right. Got getting mm-hmm. crap. So here's my dream of what happens next. Reggie is at Nintendo until April 15th. I believe... Oh, so he's not returning. I believe it's April 15th. Um... Let's let him have one more announcement. Assuming the reports of a Switch Mini are true, or a Switch Pocket, as I like to call it, let's let him reveal it. He loves doing that thing where he gets on stage or goes in a direct and pulls a little device out of his inner jacket pocket, right? Like, he does, he's done that like a dozen times. Let him, one last time, pull out now the Switch Mini, and then let him just ride off into the sunset. He kicked the asses, he took the names, he made the games. Just let him go. Let him, let him be free to roam in the pastures of wherever he is. And then, you know, now let's fast forward a few years. And, oh, neat, look at that. Reggie wrote a tell-all book all about his time at Nintendo. How cool would that be? It's about the memes. It's about the ups and downs of the Wii to the Wii U to the Switch. It's about, like, everything. That would be great. Now, obviously, this is not going to happen. There's no way he's writing a book that spills all the secrets. But I said, like I said, this is my dream of what happens next. So he, he announces his Switch Mini. He literally gallops off into the Sunset on Epona on the spot. Like he puts the Switch Mini on the floor, gets on a horse and leaves. And then three years later, he has a book. That's my dream. Yeah, actually, I actually already started writing an excerpt of that book. Believe it or not. Oh, right. Yeah. How would you like to do You have a small sampling. I forgot about this. Yeah, the funny thing is that... um, Yours is a very different angle than mine. Yeah, this is... Um, 
I don't know, for some reason, when I first heard his retirement, the first thing I did was just... Write a fan fiction. Yeah, just write, like, a, a very short fan fiction of what I imagined his last day would be, and I just sent it to Jason. That was just kind of, like, my reaction to him retiring was just to write a quick little fan fiction of, like, the first thing that came to You know, to the funny mind. thing is, like, when I texted you, Reggie's retiring, like, exclamation Yeah, that was literally my reply. I, yeah, I was like, oh, that's weird. I know you're free right now. Why are you not answering? Is it? And you must be taking this hard. And then, like, 45 minutes later, I get back, like, a paragraph. I'm like, what? What? And it's actually, well, share it with well, the, share it with I the wasn't, class. I mean, this was literally while I was at work. So. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you wrote it for 45 minutes. I'm just saying that, like, I didn't expect that to be the response, but it was pretty perfect. Yeah, I mean, it, it's rough, but, I it's, mean. It's good. It's quality. So. Dramatic reading. It's, so it's the last first. Day, so it's his last day of work. This is a, this is a first around town podcast, by the way, an actual dramatic reading. Um, this has not been um, proofed for grammatical errors. Just FYI. It's from the heart. It doesn't need to be. <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Go ahead. It's 6 p.m. Normally that wouldn't mean much, but today was special. Today was his last day. As he grabs his master sword replica, the object he saved for last, he made one last glance around the office. As he approaches the front door... He hears someone call out to him. Reggie, wait! It was good old Bill. He will definitely be, he will definitely miss seeing him regularly. Before you go, for old time's sake, would you mind looking this over? Just to see if it's okay. Reggie looks at Bill and smirks. Then he begins to shrug. Not my problem. He then continues out the door, ready to begin a new game. The end. Not my problem was later nominated for Best Picture and won. I wish I saw her not to laugh during all that. The best part is that not my problem one best picture. Wait, is it up against Detective Pikachu? It's the same year. Um, Ooh. no, this is going to be a twenty twenty. Oh, because it's a book and it has become a film. Yeah, exactly. All right, okay, yeah. so there's a little time. That's pretty good. And you even integrate a meme. What quality? No, but uh, here's what actually is going to happen. Like realistically, we're not getting him on Epona. We're not getting him not my probleming his way out of the office. Although that'd be great. What's actually going to happen? is Doug Bowser, Reggie's replacement, is going to do a great job taking over NOA. Honestly, I think that. He's currently the VP of Sales and Marketing. He's the man behind the switches. better to take over anything. I know, and he's the man behind the switch marketing. He truly seems to get it, so he's going to be dandy. And the memes are going to keep flowing. He knew early on to latch on to the idea of memes. He had that photo when he first joined Nintendo where Mario and Luigi plushes are on the shelf behind him, tied up in a GameCube controller cord. So... He'll get the memes. The memes about him are already starring. I've seen one too many Doug Bowsette fan art pieces already. Um, and Doug Bowser, honestly, he'll never be quite the same as Reggie. He'll probably never create a new expression that people actually say in real life, like my body is ready. I still to this day cannot believe my body is ready is so universally used when it started as a Reggieism. Um, like Doug's not going to do that. But it does seem fitting that for Reggie's final act, as the man who fans have memed for 15 years... He is now passing the meme baton as best he can by handing over the reins of NOA to a dude whose name is literally Bowser. So, Reggie, that, that is a mic drop if I've ever seen one. So, yeah. So that's 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 the Reggie thing. I do think Reggie's leaving on absolute high note, though. Like, perhaps the highest of high notes because he helped launch a system that's not only achieving we like numbers, but doing he also it. also helped launch their worst system. True, but he's ending on the, on the best system. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not only like we like numbers. It's doing We Like Numbers in a way that appeals to all fans in a way that the Blue Ocean era did not. Can only imagine, because this isn't that much into the Wii's lifespan, the Switch's lifespan, (laughs) I imagine he probably thought he was going to retire like around towards the end of the Wii U, but after he saw how the Wii U did, he's like, 
Also, maybe, the, maybe I should wait. Yeah, for there might switch. be so. That. And also, the Wii U was cut short by a couple of years. So yeah, exactly. This so, might be when he's going to retire, regardless. So I feel, yeah, like the Wii. If the Wii U had been extremely successful, only like now, I imagine we'd be starting yeah. to hear about the Switch. Totally. But yeah. and like, and I mean, he deserves it. Like, he deserves to go out on top. He deserves to go out when the system's on. You know, has crazy good momentum. And like, all signs are pointing to Switch momentum continuing in 2019. Um. Watch me slide into adjacent sales corner, but NPD just put out January sales numbers the other week for the U.S. and Switch was the number one console both in terms of units sold and revenue generated, which is interesting because it was in a month where the entire industry was down 19% compared to January of 2018. In fact, NPD didn't release these numbers, but leaked numbers show that Switch is the only system that saw sales go up year over year from 275,000 to 285,000. Not a huge increase, but notable when PS4 went down by 23% and Xbox One went down by 57%. Basically, it, give, it gives Switch the highest January performance of any current-gen console since PS4 in January of 2014. So, you know, it's a good it's a good time for Reggie to go. Like, even it's Switch is doing great. And that's, I should mention, it's even more noteworthy when you realize that the January 2019 NPD reporting period is four weeks but the January 2018 reporting period where Switch sold less is five weeks, meaning that weekly it's selling even more than it did a year ago. Like it's a, you know, it's a smaller window and it's doing higher numbers. So, yeah, good time for Reggie to bail out. I think, I think it's all thanks to a couple factors. I mean, if you look on the software side of things, like specifically January, I mean, if you look on the software side of things, January had big releases like Kingdom Hearts 3 and Resident Evil 2's remake. And those were understandably number one and two on the charts, as you'd expect. But right under that was New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe at number three. And it's funny because we discussed an episode ago, maybe two, that in Britain, sales of Mario U on Switch are, were 30% higher than when it launched on Wii U in 2012. And weirdly enough, that's the exact same percentage it went up in the U.S. sales as well. According, MPD says that it has a 30% higher launch than the Wii U version, um, which seems kind of big given, like, Launch games usually sell better because no one has anything else to buy. So, so that's promising. But then there's also the sustained momentum of Switch's other big games. Smash Bros. was number five on the chart. Uh, is only bested by Black Ops 4 or else it would be right next to Mario. And then Mario Kart 8 was number nine. Zelda was number 13. Mario Party was number 15. Aussie was number 20. You get the idea. Like there's These games just keep selling. And the point is, I'm trying to make here, is that people are still buying Switches for games that debuted months ago. And that evergreen momentum that's in place now is a big part of Reggie's legacy. He talked about it all the time back in the Wii days. He tried to in the Wii U days. Now does it here. And it helps that, you know, Switch owners not only are buying these old games, but then have this insatiable appetite for games. Like practically every couple of weeks, we keep hearing about how game X or Y is selling crazy well. And to that point, stories have bubbled up that, uh, you know, an indie game like Tangle Deep sold more in one week on Switch than it sold in six months on Steam. Or Wargroove made back all its dev costs in two days flat, which granted includes other systems, but still, that's crazy. Or even like on a larger scale, Mega Man 11, Mega Man X Collection 1 and 2, they sold, sold 870,000 and 920,000 units respectively. And again, they're on other systems, but we know for a fact Mega Man 11 actually sold best on Switch. That's a lot of Switch numbers probably. Um, yeah, the real test I think for Switch and for Reggie's final few months here is going to be how do they keep the momentum going now in February in March because outside of Tetris 99 which probably isn't a true system seller 
there's nothing new for Switch until Yoshi's Crafted World at the end of March. So that's two full MPD charts entirely riding on momentum of existing games. And it's kind of like the ultimate test. Like, can is Reggie really leaving at the absolute peak? Like, is is if Switch is able to sell, continue selling as well as it has in a month where there's no new releases, in two months when there's no new releases, then yeah, Reggie's leaving at the most opportune moment for sure. And what I find kind of funny is um, it's not like it had to be this way. Like, April and May are packed with a bunch of ports that some third-party publisher is probably kicking itself for not putting out during these slower months. I mean, I don't know if these would impact one way or another on how Switch momentum goes, but it feels like a missed opportunity for these games to at least capture the attention of current Switch owners. Because, like, in April, for example, we're seeing a ton of games. It was just confirmed that Phoenix Wright Trilogy is coming out. They've got Final Fantasy X and X2 HD, Final Fantasy XII, Dragon's Dogma, the Warmaster edition of Darksiders, a port of Super Dragon Ball Heroes, which is their card game game, uh, plus new titles like Mortal Kombat 11 and Box Boy and Box Girl, plus the Smash 3.0 update, plus Starlink's new Star Fox content. That's a lot of stuff in April, which is normally a slow month. And then in May, as of now, we've got Saints Row the Third, Team Sonic Racing, Assassin's Creed 3 with the bundled-in Liberation port, and Capcom just announced that Resident Evil 0, 1, and 4 are all launching on the same day of May 21st. It's like all this stuff that's crammed into those two months, they could have spaced it better, I feel like. Like, there's two dead months right now. Put something in there. Like, some of these are ports that probably could have been ready. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. But um, the Resident Evils are actually kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if dropping three games at once is really logical. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's also the first time that core Resident Evil experiences have ever been portable. Isn't Square Enix, like, dropping... Didn't they drop two of the Final Fantasy games? But they're not doing them on the same day. They're doing them, like, once a month or once every two weeks. Like, even Mm -hmm. X... Like, 10 and 10.2 HD are a bundle together, so that makes sense. But then, like, 12 comes out two weeks later, not the same day. So it's kind of weird to me that they're doing 0, 1, 4 all at once. I mean, some of it makes sense because they're bundling... Zero and one together in a physical release called, um, I think it's called like Origins Collection or something like that. And you will get a physical copy of Zero on the cartridge and then a download voucher for one, which is basically what they did with Resident Evil Revelations and Mega Man X Collection, where you got like one game one way and one the other, but they both come with a box. It is weird, I agree. But that's kind of like, okay, I get why those two, but like, why not do Resident Evil 4 now or like in June or like, I don't know, like, who's buying three Resident Evils all at once, especially. When they're each ten dollars more than they would be if you bought them on PS4, they're thirty bucks a pop. If you buy the Origins collection, you're paying sixty dollars. You don't even get a discount for buying them together. It's strange. So I'm I'm curious actually. Now that I think about it, you are exactly the demographic they probably want, Angel, because you are a big fan of Resident Evil Two, are very invested in the series at the moment, own a Switch, and conceivably if you like one Resident Evil wouldn't you love to play 0, 1, and 4 portable for the first time ever like you're kind of the person they're trying to target what are your thoughts on this just the price the fact that they're all coming out once all of it like would are you interested uh, this is going to be a weird answer but I mean I'm interested but I mean I've been interested for a while I already know I'm going to get them but I'm going to get them on the PS4 well it's cheaper I, on PS4 I don't, well yeah I mean yeah. first of all cheaper second of all I don't really see a reason to get them on the Switch. Like, playing them portably, it's not really the kind of game I would want to play portably. I love playing Resident Evil with, like, the lights off, with the speakers up. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a really good environment. Just, like, nice bigger screen. 
Like, yeah, I'm sure they work portably, but I just also just rather them all have them on that same console. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think it also, like... Also, I probably wouldn't want to get Zero right away. I'd probably wait on that one for a while. But, but... then you can't get one. I mean, you can get one. I guess, yeah. Oh, I mean, on, on, the, yeah, on the PS4, oh, I could okay. do whatever I want. True. You're yeah. a free man on PS4. Technically, on the eShop, you can also do whatever you want. Just for $10 more a piece. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I can't, yeah. You can, you just choose not to. <laughs> but yeah, I, wouldn't. You, know, you know what's funny is like if we if stuff wasn't delayed, these two months would be even more crowded because like Shovel Knight Treasure Trove got delayed. That's supposed to be out in April. Uh, King Killer Queen Black was supposed to be out this spring. That's gone now. It's summer or fall. Untitled Goose Game was also supposed to be out around April, but is now delayed to later in a year. Like imagine those smaller games like that getting completely eaten alive by these bigger releases. Like it, it's a crazy month. And it's, like, almost all ports, which makes it seem even less logical that they can't space them. Like, I really don't understand three games in one day for Resident Evil, but whatever. Whatever. Speaking of ports, though, um, what we're seeing here with this sheer number of games and how it's just out of control, it may just be the tip of the iceberg. Because there's been a lot of smoke lately about a whole different set of ports. It's actually kind of massive, if true. Um, Xbox. So the, the gist of the rumor is this. Microsoft plans to bring its Game Pass service, which is powered by its separate xCloud streaming service, to Switch. What? That'd be nice. Yeah, and yeah, because what that would mean is that hypothetically, you could play some of the highest fidelity, biggest Xbox releases on your Switch as long as you're on Wi-Fi. It'd basically be how Resident Evil 7 or Assassin's Creed Odyssey worked on in Japan for Switch, where they're streaming from a central server, just obviously on a much larger scale. And it's kind of funny, like, this rumor actually started um, with a report, I believe, by NintendoInsider.com that speculated that Nintendo would be reviving Scalebound, which is a previously Microsoft-published Platinum Games-developed game that got canceled. And at the time of that report, most people in the know seemed to suggest that wasn't actually the case. They were saying that perhaps parts of Scalebound were reshaped into Astral Chain, which we know is coming out in August, but that Scalebound itself is probably not coming to Switch. But then this opened a whole can of worms because then they started dropping tidbits about how Microsoft and Nintendo are working on something big, which soon snowballed into where we are now, which is both Game Informer, obviously a legit source, and Direct Feed Games, which Game Informer claims is a legitimate source with a proven track record. Both of them are saying, this is real, this is happening, we're getting Game Pass on Switch. And should it be true, I, w- I would argue this is probably one of the biggest shakeups in the industry since Microsoft first joined with Xbox in 2000. Like, if you think about it, if you could get Xbox Game Pass on your Switch and then combine that with Nintendo's own offerings, you're pretty much set. Like, you, you have, won't have PlayStation. Zero reason to get an Xbox. Yeah, zero. Yeah. But that's not necessarily Microsoft's concern. Anymore. No, I know. That's yeah, true. but you like even PlayStation's in a weird spot. They have exclusives that people will buy. They have people that are in the PSN know, ecosystem. They should just have PlayStation now on the Switch. But yeah, it's like it. It's in a weird spot for PS4. Everyone is here. Everyone is here. It's just like I mean, to be fair, streaming games they have some latency, and you'll need an internet connection active to play them. But it's not like you're ever in an internetless park playing a ps4 yeah and it's and like it i could see if someone cares more about multi-platform than exclusive a switch with xbox streaming on is potentially way more appealing to them than a ps4 would be or a ps5 or whatever whatever it is and that that should have my that should have sony a little worried like that's a pretty drastic shakeup theoretically and you did raise the point of like well how what about xbox sales and what's what do you do with that and in the traditional hardware sense 
it is kind of a weird move for them to do this. But there's one thing Microsoft has made clear these past few years. They're way more interested in becoming a platform agnostic services company. This is the gaming equivalent of if they when they opened up like the Office suite to work on all platforms or when they bought Skype to be on all platforms. I mean, they've already announced plans to bring xCloud to smart TVs and let you just hook up a controller. There's rumors of new Xbox hardware that's literally just a streaming box that hooks to xCloud. This is really just the next logical step. This is not that absurd if you look at Microsoft's bigger picture. And I'd argue it's actually a very forward-thinking savvy move on Microsoft's part because it lets them get out in front of a wave of new streaming services that are about to hit. Um, Amazon, Google, they're both rumored to be doing something. Google at GDC next month is actually going to be unveiling their streaming service, game streaming service. So it's it's moving fast, but at GDC at GDC, yes, they're going to have a keynote. But if uh, you know if Microsoft is already there or coming there right now with the brand cloud of Xbox to kind of keep those guys at bay and establish itself as the dominant streaming player, this is a very 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 savvy move if that's what they're doing. And if that's true, it means we also have a hundred Xbox games potentially coming to Switch, big small everything in between. Like, would do you think? Let's say they did it. Would you actually subscribe to Game Pass? It's not even that expensive. Eventually, I would. Just not right now. Right, but like, you're not concerned about latency or anything like that, because no. presumably by then they would have worked out the kinks. I mean, I'd be mainly playing that stuff at home. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. And I guess a big part of it is, you know, if Microsoft is willing to shake up their own business model for Xbox this much. And if Amazon and Google are jumping in at this level, they must have all figured out how to make latency not really an issue. Like that, it see maybe it is completely a non-issue, but but it's funny because like reading up on this rumor, you see pe- people saying it has to mean a fair trade. Like Nintendo now has to make games for Xbox, right? And then like just today or yesterday, really? They no, just the other day there was a um, image on the Xbox dashboard. Is for Black History Month and it has black game characters. And someone took an unofficial render. Someone at Microsoft had an unofficial render of. Um, What's her name from Splatoon? I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Not Kai Marie, the new set of them. Anyway, she the uh, she was in the in the banner on the Xbox store, like in the edge of it. You could see her tentacle. Marina, is that her? Yes, her. I don't remember the little one's name. Well, her. But yeah, she's in her the, like a, a fan render of her tentacle hair is in the banner, and people are like, wait, does this mean like Nintendo games are kind of Xbox because Xbox bring games to Nintendo? And it's like no, it Pearl it, Marina and Pearl. Yeah, Marina and Pearl. And it's like no, it does not mean that. Like the whole like bu- 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 the console war. It's like this is not new, people. This is exactly the strategy Microsoft's been fine tuning with Minecraft for two console generations now. Like, just because Minecraft is on Nintendo platforms, it was the number one selling Wii U game in Japan. Just because of that, we didn't suddenly start seeing Mario on Xbox. And, like, I don't think that's going to change if they bring Game Pass. Because in Microsoft's mind, just getting our IPs on other platforms is the win. It is the end goal. They don't need people coming back. They're going to sell the streaming service in mass in higher quantities, and they, they, they'll sell, then they'll sell the console to more people. And it's a bigger opportunity for them. Is there logic in that? In At least... And, and to that end, another part of the rumor um, is that we're going to not only be seeing Game Pass, we're going to see straight-up Xbox ports coming to Switch, maybe to prime the pump for Game Pass. I don't know, but one that everyone, including Game Informer, seems certain of is Ori and the Blind Forest as an actual like physical release on Switch, which is, you know, kind of perfect. It's an artsy Metroidvania platformer, which everyone on Switch seems to eat up except us because, uh, you know, people love their artsy Metroid platform, Metroidvania platformers. Um so there's that. But then there's a separate report, and this one I'm very into, uh, Cuphead, 
maybe getting a Switch release. Now this comes from uh, Jeu Video, which is a French gaming site that's been around probably as long as Reggie's been at Nintendo, now that I think about it. And uh, they they wouldn't just say this without good sourcing, I'd imagine. And they're getting behind the idea that Cuphead's coming to Switch. Very pretty cool. That would be cool. I've always wanted to play Cuphead because like, it, it's really cool how it draws inspiration from classic cartoons. I just don't have the things to play it on. But I like the concept a lot. Seems like you would not really have fun playing it. It's a, one of those super hard platforms, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a bullet well, hell. I, I'm okay with I'm okay with bullet hells. I played I mean, Kruger a Kruger and all well, that. A, well, then combine it with the platformers. You have to do the platforming while doing the bullet hell. I would still check it out. I like the concept. Oh, yeah. I mean, you should check it out. I yeah. mean, there might be like a, you know, like an easy mode or something. Um, I hope so. Because, I mean, it's... Have you actually played Cuphead or just watched Elvis play it? I've played it a few times. I mean, Is it that hard? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole the whole point of the game is to be ridiculously hard. Ah, then maybe I maybe I would suffer too much. Um, okay, well that changes my perspective. Maybe I'll watch someone else play it on a Switch. There we go. I could do that with any system. I mean, maybe but, I'll wait for the Switch. But I'm sure, like, especially if it's coming to the Switch, they would include a mode that makes yeah. it more friendly for everybody. They kind of have to, or not have to, but they should. <laughs> <laughs> they have to. You hear that? You hear that, Microsoft? It, yeah. You have to. No, but what, what's interesting is, at least in the case of Ori, uh, the direct port, if everyone's correct, is uh, the direct port's being published by THQ Nordic. So this was rumored and then sort of indirectly confirmed by someone spying it in a UK sales database, which kind of throws all these rumors into an interesting light because if it's in a sales database, if it's in a UK retail database, there's some legitimacy now to this. And if there's legitimacy to Ori coming to Switch and being a Microsoft thing, then the Game Pass stuff isn't that absurd. And what's actually kind of interesting about being THQ Nordic is it's a fun throwback of sorts to the old THQ publishing Microsoft property scheme they had back in the Game Boy Advance and DS games. Like, remember Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge? Or Oddworld for Game Boy Advance? Or Banjo-Pilot? Or that one puzzle game where you were star... It was like a snowman in pants, or he had no pants, or... I think it was called, like, It's Mr. Pants. It is literally a puzzle game about a snowman with pants. He was a mascot from Rare's website's mailbag. And they made a game about him. Hmm. Yeah, it was an actual game. It was a cross-licensed deal between Microsoft THQ and Nintendo. For a snowman with no pants. Real thing. But yeah, you know, they did on DS too, not with the pants guy. But like Age of Empire and Viva Pinata, and at one point they even considered they were building a Halo for DS. So this is just that strategy revisited. At the very bare minimum, having Ori poured over is that strategy. Um, and that's what, you know, the, revisiting old strategies is what THQ Nork is very good at. They basically acquire their way back into the hearts of gamers by doing everything THQ once did. So they bought the THQ name, they bought IPs, they for reforged the old Nickelodeon partnership. Now they seem to have Microsoft and Nintendo as partners for this initiative. The problem is they put that on Jeopardy this week uh, by hosting an AMA on not Reddit, not Twitter, not Facebook, not Reset Era, not any reasonable website, but 8chan. Yes, that 8chan. The one made by people who got rejected for 4chan because they're such bad people. The one that got blacklisted by Google for associate for having associations to child porn. They decide that is where we should have our AMA. Jeez. And as you can imagine, yeah, that that blew up in their face very quickly because apparently the one thing THQ Nordic cannot acquire is a competent PR team. Because like someone like there are a few scenarios of how this could have all gone down. They claim they didn't know how bad the site was. But if you are a guy that works in PR or community management, you will at least Google the name of the site and you will see the first result, the Wikipedia page, explaining how it's associated with, you know, uh, 
all sorts of racism and child porn and Nazism and like all sorts of bad stuff. And there's also the whole Gamergate angle in mm. there. And there's all sorts of stuff. You would see that. Is there was ever a metaphor for the CD part of the internet. Yeah, it'd be this. And and what's crazy is like so then they go through with it and they post the AMA and all these tweets are time. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they know. They tweet, you know, like, oh, we, we're going to do an uh, AMA on 8chan, and we don't know why. Like, okay, so you're obviously aware of its reputation if you say that. And then they double down being like, oh, this guy Mark said he took care of the nasty stuff. Like, who is Mark? We still don't know. Um, and then the backlash started, and they started pulling, you know, pushing, uh, posting apologies. But for at least most of the day, they left up the link to 8chan in their Twitter feed, meaning if you're a kid and you like – Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy on your Switch or whatever. And you go to THQ Nordic Social Media because you want to follow them. And then you click the link to their AMA because like, oh, I want to learn about their new games. You are dumped into a thread where there is all sorts of references to like pedophilia and all sorts of other stuff that THQ's people were playing along with and answering. Wow. And you're a kid who now indirectly is stuck in the middle of all this. And you were referred there by the eShop. Like, imagine Nintendo's now in the middle of this, and Sony's now in the middle of this, and Microsoft's now in the middle of this. And I can't I imagine they're not happy about the fact that, like, these publishers that have established, pres- established presence on their, or this publisher has an established presence on their storefront, has links on their social media after saying they know they made a mistake, keeping them up to the place that they realize was bad. And you know they realized it was bad because their apology was literally – in the apology, I am not a pedophile and I am not a racist or oh something gosh. like that. Like it was, it was something along those lines. It funny. was – the whole so- thing was horrible. This sounds like – I don't know, like one of those like onion stories or something. Yeah, except it's real. So I think there's a couple – I honestly, you know what I think they were doing? This was a pre So what? This was all intentional? This was, so I think on some level it might have been. I think what THQ Nordic was doing, maybe – is 8chan, along with all the stuff we descri- describe about how horrible they are, is also home of people that like to dox game journalists and support like the real extremes of Gamergate and are really into like kind of this super on the right view of the gaming world. And I feel like someone at THQ or some people at THQ are like, we should signal to these guys that we're the game company that got their, that got their back. Like every other game company is saying, no, this is bad. What if we go in Say we didn't know what was going on and back back out, but those guys get it. They know why we're there. We're playing a lot of their memes and jokes. They understand. But to the 90% of the other gamers, it won't seem like a big deal. We say sorry we didn't know and we move on. That's what I think it was. Oh, man. They've got political quick. No, no, no. I'm, 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 it wasn't supposed to be political, but I think, no, I think, they were, I think they were basically like, this is a subset of an audience we can appeal to, and I think they estimated it was bigger than it actually was. Where's that Pokemon conversation we were having? <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not saying I know, that. I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but I know. But um, I honestly, I think that's part of it. And the reason I think that's part of it is because it wasn't just a PR guy who took, like one guy's like, I take responsibility. One of the seven board members of THQ Nordic was participating. Like we're talking like high up management. So like this was, this had to have been somewhat calculated. It's too dumb not to be. Or their PR team is really that incompetent. So take your pick. It's either either my conspiracy theory or just pure stupidity. It's up to you. But regardless, it's a crazy scenario. Anyway, I'd hate to end such an exciting rumor about Xbox coming to Switch on a sour note. So let me pose this question. What would you want a newfound partnership between Microsoft and Nintendo to actually lead to? Because like obviously it makes an idea like Banjo-Kazooie that much more possible inside Smash. And 
you know, we can get maybe Rare Replay comes to Switch, but and all those classic games. But I think what would be perfect is Goldeneye, a remaster of Goldeneye. Oh, you lost me. Um, you don't like Goldeneye? Go back to Rare Replay. Okay, Rare Replay. What do you think of that idea? And then, well, Goldeneye is also rare, so it wasn't too far from the path. Yeah, but anything but Goldeneye. You don't like Goldeneye? Perfect Dark? They just haven't aged well. Well, no, so here's what I'm thinking about Goldeneye. We are in the age I of... have the Wii version. We're, well, the Wii version's not really Goldeneye. I mean, it sort of was. Exactly. It sort of was Because it wasn't the N64 one, which was terrible. Listen, one But it was all you had back then, therefore it was good, and everyone should worship it. Correct. No, what, what I was saying is, right now, we're in peak 90s nostalgia. We have the Switch, which is hooking lapsed gamers and focusing on multiplayer. If they were to put out Goldeneye in the same way like Final Fantasy VII is coming out or whatever, it would... People would go crazy. Regardless of what you think it, of the game. And then be like, wow. And then... Or they could tweak it. They could fine-tune it. It could be a remake. But it, my point is, like, if they were to do something with Goldeneye right now, it would just be endless free money for them. Endless. It'd be printing money. They would be able to start their own economy. No, it, it seriously, it would be huge. Would the legal it's, hurdles be that big? Or? Well, that's the thing. Probably not. If Microsoft, Nintendo, are this buddy buddy now, and this is all happening, yeah, they're but having I mean, these high level. Who has talks. the right to like so, seven? And all that so stuff. Nintendo owns one? the code. Rare developed the code, and has the right. Like Nintendo apparently is the owner of the code as the publisher, but they can't do anything without with it without Rare's permission, which is now Microsoft's permission. And then separately, they just need to go to MGM and go like. Yo, we're gonna release the thing that's gonna make you a bunch of money. You cool with that? And I'll be like, "Yup, we don't make very many movies anymore." And then it'll work out. I mean, people will be happy, so that's all that matters. I think just as a as a business move, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that that's the news. But I mean, you didn't ask me as a business move. I mean, no, the, that's I mean, true. Okay, well, what would you want? I mean, see? if it was a business move, then yeah. What would you want to see? What what rare game do you think should be remade? Remade, yeah, remade, updated, brought to Switch in some meaningful way, because this is the opportunity now. Mm, probably just Diddy Kong Racing. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Hey, it's the whole like Star Fox Grand Prix rumor. It should have been Diddy Kong Racing too the whole time. It's kind of that rebubbling or bubbling back up. I could see him doing Jet Force Gemini. I That's kind of like a game. I know the game. I rented exists, it a couple but times. I don't even know what kind of game it is. It's a third. Person sort of shooter adventure. It's like Bandra Kazooie, but I mean, with I like guns. But it's mean, like Bandra Kazooie, but you have like guns and you shoot aliens. Kind of. I have assumed the dog was Jet Force Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> the dog's name was Jet Force Gemini. The whole dog, the dog, the whole one dog was all that. Yeah. So who are the humans? Where are they? Where are they? Do I don't know the the ones that pick up the poop. Oh. Hmm. Sounds like you just want to play like Nintendo Dogs, but with laser guns. Oh, I've never owned a Nintendogs. You never had Nintendogs? No. You know there's a new kind of Nintendogs-esque game coming to Switch called Little Friends that actually looks pretty adorable. You could get that. Oh. We'll have to look into it. I think that's where we end our news segment is there's a little there's a game called Little Friends coming to Switch. Um, but that's not where we end the show because we've also been playing things. Uh, so we have two round games, two circular orbed games. Uh, one is Pool Panic, which I've been playing. Guess we could start there. Um, Pool Pack isn't exactly a new game. I should be fair. It came out last year, uh, but it was on sale in the eShop for like six bucks a little while ago. And I kind of always wanted to check it out, so I figured with the current game release lull, now now's a good time to do it. And I'm I'm pretty glad I did because above all, Pool Panic is an experience. Like it's it's weird. It's kind of trippy. It's very colorful. It's pretty much the Adult Swim 
aesthetic, like in video game form, which makes sense since it is an Adult Swim game. But um, it's also just like a really interesting concept that's always changing and evolving. Like basically what the developers did is they took the core mechanic of pool, the idea of hitting one ball into other balls using a stick, and they just threw in as many weird, bizarre, wacky scenarios that they could think of. And they were kind of able to do this because they opened up what it means to play pool. Like, you still control a cue stick. You use the right stick to aim it. You use the R to thwack the ball or R to do, like, a gentle thwack. And uh, it even includes, like, a little handy indicator to show you the trajectory of the ball you're going to hit. Um, but you also are kind of playing an adventure game because, like, all the balls, including your cue ball, are anthropomorphic. So you're using the left stick to actually walk around as your cue ball to then line up your shots with the stick and to interact with the level itself. And you can, like, jump as if it's, like, a normal video game character. It's It's an interesting mix. And then the, the, the levels themselves are like the furthest you can get from a typical pool game. Some are rather straightforward. Like, oh, these, these balls are having a picnic. You should disrupt them. But then others get really absurd as they go. Like there's one where you first cause a car crash on the world map. And then you go into the level and each ball is slowly and angrily climbing out of the wreck. And looks slightly injured. And then they start running and stomping around angrily. And if they get too close to you, they will actually grab you as a cue ball and throw you into the pocket instead of them. So you have to kind of like navigate around these guys very quickly because like normal pool, you know, you can sit there and just be like, what's the best angle? What's the geometry here? But this is like they're charging at you because you crashed their car. So you need to move fast. So it's a very different, you know, it's a very different experience. There's like another one where you're essentially hurting pool balls by running around them. There's no cue in this at all, like no cue stick at all. You're just literally hurting them into pockets and you know there's other ones like riding motorcycles and robbing banks and like wild west stuff. it's it's a crazy eclectic selection and what i noticed pretty quickly is that literally every level at least from what i played so far introduces something new or different with the only through line being the balls of different color tend to keep their behavior across levels so there's like gray ones that are always screaming and running away if you try and hit them there's orange ones that will sidestep as you you know as you hit your cue ball and as it rolls towards them they'll sidestep at the last second there are green ones that are kind of like almost like soccer defenders or like hockey goalies and and then everything else is just a grab bag of weird like pockets may be hidden behind rocks or they may be potholes in the road balls may come in and out of a level on a school bus in some cases you need to figure out how to get the balls to come out in the open just to then smack them into hiding again it's 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 very interesting and like ultimately all you need to do in each level and there are a hundred levels plus a hard mode plus multiplayer the one consistent goal across all of them is to knock the eight ball into a hole and usually you first have to knock other balls into other holes to then be able to knock the eight ball in but it's cool to see how creative they get with all those ideas of which balls to knock where what you need to do to get the eight ball to the point where you can knock it in like in a in a way it kind of reminds me of WarioWare almost because it takes a very simple control mechanic, in this case just pool, and then goes absurdly wild with it in all sorts of different directions. Like often it's up to you to figure out how to go about achieving the goal, just like with WarioWare where it's just like, all right, here's the situation, go. And there are secondary goals for each level. You can um, you know, finish the level within a certain number of cue ball hits or within a set time or without landing your own cue ball in a pocket. But I think, I think the WarioWare analogy works beyond just like the gameplay idea because the humor and the tone is the sheer randomness of it really is very warrior like just how it bursts with personality is very warrior very warrior like i think one of my favorite examples of this is you can enter a bar at one point and there are other pool balls hanging out in the bar drinking pool drinking juice boxes as i guess they do and 
playing pool. So the pool balls are playing pool in the pool hall. And if you go play pool with the pool ball in the pool hall, you actually enter a pool minigame, which is normal pool. So inside this weird world of random crazy pool, there's a little minigame that's just normal pool. Hmm. It's just like, yeah, right. It's very, very WarioWare. And, and like the game isn't perfect. The, the choice of a fixed camera angle, it kind of like takes on the look of like an old beat em up game and it mostly works, but I've had issues with views that made it hard to find a ball or the ball. Like it may seem like it was right in front of me, but it's actually standing on something further down in the foreground. So that can be a little annoying. And there's also the fact that because the game throws, you know, so many different ideas at you, like every single level, level is something kind of different, at least from my experience so far. That means that you don't necessarily get to build on ideas or have like gameplay advancements it's just like a scatter shot of random thoughts and that works except you never really know what skill set you need and sometimes you don't even know what you need to do because you you know it's all these new ideas and nothing's really like i would say coherent because it is with the ball behavior but nothing's really like you can't take a idea from one and assume it's gonna work in the other it doesn't always and that kind of goes back to my original description of pool panic which is that it's an experience like you're not necessarily playing to play pool because it's not really pool and you're not necessarily playing to solve like adventure style puzzle games because the puzzles aren't so much problem solving as it's just like experimentation but it's still a really fun experience because it's just weird and colorful and wacky and has good art design and bizarro music and, and really that's what's keeping me coming back to it is it's just like so strange <laughs> in a good way so so that's pretty much pool panic it's, I, I recommend it for the, like I said, the experience more than anything else. It's There's nothing else like it on Switch. Yeah, even just the visuals. I mean, like you said, I just, I, I really just, I like looking at this trailer footage. It's, it just looks very appealing. It's very Ren and Stimpy. The colors are very nice. The the art style is very Ren and Stimpy to me. Mm. But yes, it looks, it is very nice. Um, so that's one game starring round characters that I've been playing. The other is uh, Battle Loon, which we both got checked out recently, courtesy of a review code. And, you know, fun, actually, fun fact about Battle Loon, it's published by Unties, which is the Japanese indie game publishing arm of Sony Music Japan, which is weird because what I'm saying is Sony has published a game on a Nintendo platform. PlayStation Sony makes a game for Nintendo Nintendo. Um, but regardless, let's talk about the game itself. I think the best way to describe it is that it's what would happen if you took Mario Party's bumper balls or Super Monkey Ball's monkey fight and stuck them on a 2D plane. Like, you still have the primary goal of trying to be the last person standing by ramming into others, but because it's 2D, you need to represent death differently than just falling off, like how you fall off in 2D. So instead, it's contained now. There's spiked walls to slam opponents into and pop their bubble. And each, or their balloon, I should say, because each player is a balloon. The main gameplay mechanism is that you need to inflate and deflate to move around. So you hold down A to inflate, you release A to deflate, and then you use the control stick as you're doing all this to steer where your deflation propels you. And then you just kind of like ram into each other. Um, ultimately, you want to be the last balloon standing or get the most, or be unpopped or get the most points, whatever the case may be. And it's a very simple mechanic and it does work as intended. I it, I feel like it could be a bit faster, maybe. Yeah, it got a lot of things right. I mean, presentation, I feel like it nailed. Yeah. Um, controls, like just the way the game feels. The pick and play nature. Yeah, like, I feel they nailed that too, but yeah, like, literally, like, the games you compared it to, like, bumper balls and, well, mainly bumper balls, um, like, those are fun because of how 
fast they are, like how quickly the games just go by. But this one, like, you have to inflate yourself and then let go, and you build up momentum so slowly that by the time you're, like, going at max speed, you already want to change direction, which means you have to already start blowing in the opposite direction. And when you do that, you pretty much just come to a complete stop, and then you mm-hmm. have to build up that momentum again. And that's if someone already hasn't hit you and, you know, like, killed you because you touched the edges. And, I mean, there's random items that pop out sometimes, mainly they all seem to do the same thing, which is just completely freezing your ta- in your tracks or yeah. just have you drift in a certain direction dazed while someone else comes in and bumps you, albeit very slowly. Now, <laughs> what I kind of wondered after playing this is when balloons typically, like, you know, like, release their air, they fly by really fast. Like, they zip and zap around the room. So I feel like doing that would have been incredibly fun. Like, just have, like, make each round, like, last... And they do do that because, like, they have a point system in place for winning first place, for getting, like, some knockouts, that kind of stuff. I think part... So they just need to, like, literally, like, you can still have the inflating mechanic, but just have the people fire off, like, crazily and make it so that, like, all right, the angle that you hit something actually determines where you're going to fly next. That way is not a complete straight line. And if you hit someone, depending on, like, who has more momentum at each other because you're going so fast, is the one that wins out, whoever is going faster, obviously. Or yeah. so bigger if you want to factor that in too. Like, I, I think to part of part of the reason I feel like um, I think part of the reason it plays at the speed it does is to your point about the point system uh, again with the bad pun. But the developers, it seemed like they're de- they're anticipating people being really strategic about who they want to pop. And I don't know if that's actually how it, we played it because like they like winning goes how it works is you get a point for your last balloon standing. You also get points for every KO you achieve. You get a bonus point for killing whoever won the last round. And you get points. Um, oh, I already said that one for if you're the last balloon pop. Yeah, but you know what other but, game does all that stuff too while being fast? Towerfall. Yeah. yeah, like they keep track of all that data. It's very strategic, I, there, and it still there goes was by, one more thought to that, and it still goes really fast. Sorry, the, the thought I was gonna say is there is one other element that only applied when we did four player, not for two player. But when you get popped, you you come back as a ghost. And what's interesting about this whole Which point you could thing? Which Towerfall also. Can you? Yep. Oh, well, then I have no excuse. But no, the, I was going to say what's interesting about we that. We just don't really is, play with that mode because it just that oh, one makes okay. it drag a little longer. Right. Because, yeah, what I was going to say about that is, like, it's interesting because because the points aren't reliant on just being last man standing. It's literally a whole amalgamation of all those other reasons. You could die at the very beginning and then still win. And I think I think the reason they made it so slow, and I, I agree it should be faster, but I think the reason it moves at speed it does is they were hoping you would, like, okay, who am I going to target? Okay, that's who I'm targeting. Okay, They've been hit. Now, who am I going to target? Okay, that's who I'm targeting. If it was like an online it, battle royale with 100 other balloons, I feel like that speed dude, would that's work. that's a good idea. But That's a good idea. But because it's just four, and trust I mean, like, I really want to like the game, but it, it's really just the speed. Like, yeah. with four people, like, I would say it's just okay that I feel like after one round, you're kind of over it. But with two people, I feel like it's not even worth trying. I, I do think like the foundations there for oh, yeah, a lot more but, that's right. like, but everything even... else I feel was done really really well and so it almost feels like something that they could tweak yeah I, I think like a 2.0 update because I mean even like we got I, sh- I kind of want to give credit to the fact that or they the... could even keep it the same and just literally add another mode it's called a turbo mode or something or something because yeah they 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 did something cool where they actually like there are six different characters and they do actually do different Things so they are trying to. Oh, like, yeah, they have different that. properties. Yeah, so there's like a big puffer fish who is you know he doesn't turn very fast, but also doesn't move very far if you get hit. Uh, there's this little like bird that moves really fast, and then there's a balloon named 
Mr. Balloon. It's funny how you say it really fast, but it's still very really fast slow. compared to everyone else. Yeah, he also doesn't blow up as much. So yeah, he can't it's more like a little like like quick but panting then, sort of thing. And, and some of them like like the description will tell you like straight up what they do, and yeah. sometimes you can tell, but others like are vague for some Like one says like very stylish. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah, well, I think I don't. And then there's some that are like can't be stopped all right so does that mean if i hit someone and then i played as that bat it was the bat that said can't be stopped right, right. so i'm like okay does that mean like i like damage people when i hit them or something so i just like attack someone and it's like nope i can't tell what's different about them yeah and then there is the one like some were clearer than others like the bird definitely i guess was more agile because it's a little smaller but i almost felt like i was at a disadvantage the whole time because i couldn't blow up as big but i somehow still won without really hitting anyone so because you weren't at a disadvantage were you <laughs> well no because everyone killed themselves back then because i mean when you're it's kind of hard to stop yourself and you're just gonna run into a wall and kill yourself well i think a, a big problem that i noticed i start i stopped doing after we played a bit more was initially i would inflate all the way and then go as far as i could and i was actually like little quick huffs does better like little rapid fire a pressing but it, I think the best character is Mr. Balloon, Mr. Balloon, who's just the balloon, because he uh, gets faster by walls. So so you can kind of squirm out of situations. Again, faster is relative. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think um, it is it is very – the foundation's all there. That's the thing that's kind of just like – there's so much potential for them just doing an update. Because even though, like, little things, like the way that every level is sort of a monotone color – in a way that makes all the balloons always pop on screen visually. Again, no pun intended. I am so sorry. But, like, you know, that feels well thought out. That's a nice touch. It's just, there's just, that's it. Like, that's the thing. Everything we just described is the whole game. There's no single player mode. There are no different modes built on top of this foundation. There are different levels you're battling in. And as you noted, they each have different obstacles that kind of do one of a few different things. But you don't have the option to choose individual stages. You just hit battle and then get kind of tossed in random until someone wins it all. Like it's just a bit light on content for seven bucks. And I I think if they did a 2.0 update, as you were saying, if they maybe added a turbo mode or any sort of interesting new mode or a single player mode, that that could be it. That could be what turns like a fun idea of a game into something that actually has longevity and will really propel itself forward. That pun was intended. The others haven't been. So, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, it has all the charm it needs. It has the core concept down. It just needs some fine-tuning, I think is the takeaway. Yeah. So, I'm hoping that No Name Studio considers that and does more. Cause, and, and to be fair, if you are a group that prefers slower-paced games, like, this will do it. It's just, I think, we're we're a Towerfall family. <laughs> so, family of friends. So, that, that made it a little hard to compare. But the the groundwork is laid. I'm I'm hopeful they do something with it. Yes, I will definitely revisit it if they do. Hundred percent. But yeah, that um, that pretty much does it. We had quite a range of things this episode. I mean, from Pokemon to more Pokemon to more Pokemon to Reggie. So we'll be back in two weeks' time for our next episode on Sunday, March seventeenth. Which uh, you know, really, I don't know what we're gonna have. Nintendo's been full of surprises, good and bad lately. So whatever it is that happens, we'll be there covering it. Um easiest way to make sure you hear that coverage is you can subscribe to us on all the podcasting apps we're on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher tune in youtube at uh, our channel there is random nintendo com you can follow us on twitter at random nintendo i am at jsr7 on twitter he is at wero on twitter and um you know this is actually one of the few times i'm good i ever we really do this but i'm gonna ask that if you enjoy the show consider leaving us a review on uh 
on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes because it it helps us gain exposure, makes a better show, makes more opportunities, and it's a win for everyone. Plus, it just it makes us feel good. So you know. So with that, um, any final thoughts? Uh, I guess not. Well, then I'm gonna leave us with one final Reggieism. I feel just like a purple pigment. <laughs>